This coverage is live and uncensored. So if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, what's up, folks? My Take Radio, episode 96 for Thursday, May, uh, May, June 16th, 2011. The intro music you just heard was Street Fighter II's Frets of Fury, and the artist was Vertex Guy. You can download that and any of the other previously used intro music at ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org. The caller number is 347-324-3541. Again, that caller number is 347-324-3541. All right. A lot of stuff going on this week. A lot of exciting news for you guys that I'm really excited to share. Um, that will probably be discussed later on this evening. Um, my guest this evening will be Garib Seamus. He is the CEO and president of Wizard World Entertainment who you may know as the guys that do the Wizard World Comic Cons, Wizard Ma- well, formerly Wizard Magazine, the public the the hardcore the, um, the magazine publication as well as Toy Fair. Wizard is now available as an app on iTunes for the iPad and you can read your magazine fix that way. In addition to that, we'll be talking about this past weekend's UFC event. We'll be talking about TNA Slammiversary, Monday Night Raw. We got some really, really silly what-the-fuck movie news for you guys because there are, there are a couple of gems this week. All I want to tell you guys is killer clowns from outer space, so we'll leave it at that. But that's going to be happening in the movie segment. And with that, let's just get into some housekeeping first. Uh, for those of you that haven't picked it up, I recommend you pick up our app available in the Android and iOS marketplaces, not only because you'll be able to have MTR with you at all times, but because we are working on adding tons of exclusive app content. As of right now, we have already added two episodes of MTR behind the mic, and we have also, we're also going to be adding stuff for Minority Film Report, and we're going to add a secondary interview series called MTR Beyond the Mic, if you haven't been by MyTakeRadio.com today, I will enlighten you guys. MTR Behind the Mic will focus primarily on people that have either um, radio shows or podcasts relating to any of the things we discuss, whether it's movies, tech, uh, video games, mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, and that's just going to give you an inside look into you know the thought process for their shows, what they cover, where you can listen to them. It's just going to be a trip. Uh, you know, as, as as cliche as it sounds, it's going to be a trip behind the mic. The secondary thing that we're going to be doing is MTR Beyond the Mic, which I'm sure a lot of you guys will enjoy, only because we're going to be talking to a, a, a huge assortment of personalities, not just movies and video games and our core topics, but we're going to go into a couple of other things, uh, company heads, CEOs, things like that, just because there's so many other stories out there and so many other 
things that we can share with you guys. Not only that, but some of these people actually end up having some of the same interests that we cover, which is always nice, whether it's, you know, wrestlers that like playing video games, mixed martial artists that are fans of pro wrestling, uh, company CEOs that enjoy playing an, an occasional round of Street Fighter, things of that nature. It's just going to be a, a, a great meeting place for all of our interests, plus give you guys some insight into a ton of different brands and products out there. So you guys can be on the lookout for that coming up real soon. We got a, a, a ton of people that we have lined up, not only for behind the mic, but beyond the mic. In addition to that, we got a, a guest calendar that's being put together for the month of June. July is, is shaping up really well. And even to August, we got some stuff. So it's going to be really exciting. Next week, we're going to be at the gadget event. We're going to be checking out some of the new technology being put out by companies like T-Mobile, um, Belkin, and we're going to get some firsthand access to some of that stuff. And we'll probably get access to some of those technologies and products as well, which we will, re which we will be reviewing for you guys, whether it's on the site, on air, or via video, which is the other announcement I wanted to make. I actually have gone out and picked up an HD webcam, so I will start doing videos for My Take Radio TV, um, different things, just it could be video blogs, it could be video podcasts. It's going to be a larger assortment of programming on My Take Radio TV. Uh, Slick actually did an unboxing of Infamous 2. He actually got the, the really hardcore edition, the legendary edition, I believe it's called, and he actually took the time to unbox that. I've just been meaning to watermark it and place it on the site. So be on the lookout for that as well. In addition, we're going to do just more local stuff just because there's so much stuff going on here in New York. Like I said, we got the Gadget Expo. We got wrestling events we're going to try and cover. We got conventions. We, we put it like this. We're going to have an incredible presence in the coming weeks, and that's going to lead to an announcement that's going to be coming later on in the broadcast, which is very exciting, not only for the future of MTR, but just for the future of our listeners that are going to get a wealth of more innovative content, uh, more personalities, more talent that will be uh, working with My Take Radio for the foreseeable future. So be on, the, be on the lookout for that. Our Facebook fan page, we are well on our way to 1,100 fans right now. I want to take the opportunity and welcome all the new fans that are listening uh, across the world. We've been getting listeners from Asia, the U.K., as far as Australia. we got a couple of people in New Zealand um, very happy to see so many uh, diverse uh, people involved with our, with just with our fan base. It's it's very exciting to see, and I'm really looking forward to getting into the 1200 and 1500 category. Hopefully by episode 100 at the rate that we're going. Um, and so welcome for that. You know, welcome to you guys, and and thank you. And while you're at it, take the opportunity and stop by our forums. I've actually seen some some new members joining, but. Don't just join and, and not be involved because it, you're going to end up being purged, which while I'm on the subject of forums will be happening at the end of the month. If you've not been involved with the forum in over 90 days, I will be deleting your ass, period. Um, if for whatever reason you still want to remain active in the forum, please let me know via direct message or uh, Facebook or whatever communication medium you have, even email for that matter, and I will gladly keep your account active. If not, I will be deleting accounts June 30th, so be on the lookout for that. Get Glue. Uh, 
can't stress that enough. If you're a GetGlue user, do yourselves a favor. Uh, check into My Take Radio from the Facebook fan page, and also you can check in from the site just because it's really nice to see our audience a little a little more up close. And plus, it's always nice to see what you guys are watching and are into that we may want to cover and check out. Um, probably within the next two weeks, My Take Radio will probably be moved from the TV show uh, section of Get Glue to hopefully the music section, which is as close as we can get to uh, talk radio. So for that, there will be a presence probably in the music section. I'm talking to a few people to get some custom stickers made up. We got some really cool ideas for some Get Glue stickers, which you'll be hopefully seeing in the couple in a couple of weeks. And there'll be some rules, of course, to get those stickers. But you'll be able to display your support of MTR proudly if you use Get Glue. Last but not least, T-shirts and merchandise. We kind of took a, a back seat only because I wasn't happy with the designs and just a ton of shit that was involved in that. And I don't want you guys to complain because you're cheap motherfuckers, some of you anyway, about the cost of shirts. So I want to make sure I give you guys a quality product at a fair price, which will be happening sooner rather than later, as well as an assortment of other merchandise that we plan to offer. So with that, housekeeping out of the way, here's what we're going to talk about tonight. We got WWE Raw, TNA Slammiversary. We got your video game news with some real crazy NPD numbers I want to talk about. And, of course, we got your movie news as well with a, a couple of what-the-fuck news stories involved in there. So be on the lookout for that. Garib Sheamus will be joining us probably around 1130 um, to discuss Wizard World in Philly this weekend. In addition to that, we'll be discussing the, the future of Wizard as a publication, um, how he feels embracing this new medium, and a couple of other topics as well. So about 1130. That's the... That's hopefully how we got everything laid out. Of course, everything is subject to change. After the interview, we will be making our announcement, which, like I said, I, I hope you guys enjoy. So with that, let's talk some MMA because there's a, a ton of stuff that went down this week, and I want to actually discuss what happened at UFC 131. All right, let's jump right into UFC 131, which happened this past Saturday. The main event was Shane Carwin versus Junior Dos Santos. Um, Junior Dos Santos originally was scheduled to meet with Brock Lesnar. Of course, Brock Lesnar had to be pulled from the fight due to the reemergence of diverticulitis. Brock Lesnar ended up having a foot of his colon removed, and he is on the shelf till 2012. Shane Carwin stepped up. Him and Dos Santos took care of business, and the winner was going to be meeting Cain Velasquez. Let's just go run down the card real quick. A couple of fights that I want to discuss. Uh, featherweight bout that was shown on Facebook and YouTube as part of the prelims. Uh, Michihiro Omigawa and Darren Elkins. Uh, great fight from start to finish. Really bummed out because Darren Elkins took the fight by unanimous decision, even though Omigawa was ridiculous, especially in that second round. He came, he engaged, and he came forward through some really hard shots. They exchanged some hooks in the later part of the round, some looping hooks. It was ridiculous. But the, the craziest thing was that Omigawa was engaging and coming in and getting the better 
of Darren Elkins in the exchanges. Of course, Omigawa did, you know, came out on the losing end, but a lot of people made a stink about it. And I believe Omigawa got his win bonus and not for nothing. This is one of the reasons why I feel that judging an MMA needs a significant improvement, especially with more retiring fighters going into judging because it's shit like this that really pisses people off. And that's how it goes. You don't leave it in the hands of the judges because they will fuck you over. On the heavyweight side of things, Joey Beltran met with Aaron Rosa, and um, I really felt that Aaron Rosa was going to come in there and impose his will. Uh, He was coming in about 11 pounds, about 10 or 11 pounds heavier than Joey Beltran, but Joey Beltran has incredible striking, and striking is uh, very surprising. Every time I see him, I get more and more impressed with his striking. Um, Round three, as soon as that bell rang, Joey Beltran put it on him, and... um, Hammer fists and elbows secured him the victory via TKO with strikes. On the uh, featherweight side of things, Dustin Poirier and Jason Young, um, very exciting fight. Again, these 145-pound fighters are extremely talented. Uh, Poirier took the fight via unanimous decision. Going into, I'm actually going to jump around a little bit because there's a couple of fights I want to talk about. Uh, Christoph Szczynski and Mike Masenzio was... I, I kind of felt was a departure from what the Kristoff we've seen. Not to say that Kristoff doesn't like uh, having wars with, with his opponents, but something just felt amiss. I don't want to say that he was injured or that or that something else was going on, but it just looked um, – it didn't look like the Kristoff I'm used to seeing. He ended up winning the fight by unanimous decision. And it, I, this is also partly because I'm spoiled, but – you, you expect to see a certain type of fight out of a certain type of fighter. And in this one, it, it was a fun fight, but it just wasn't a fight I'm used to seeing from Kristoff. Going into the middleweight bout, Jesse Bonfeld was fighting New York's own Chris Weedman. Uh, definitely, I was pulling for, for Chris. He's a hometown boy out of uh, Ray Longo School on the island. Really great jiu-jitsu from Weedman. Very slick. Secured the victory with a guillotine choke in round one. Phenomenal talent. Weeman is now, you know, going. He came in five and zero, now six and zero. Very talented fighter. Got to keep an eye out on this kid. On the lightweight side of things, Sam Stout met with Eve Edwards. I'm a huge Eve Edwards fan. I did not expect this fight to go the way it went, and that was Sam Stout catching him with a knockout. It was it was ridiculous. Sam Stout caught Eve Edwards, and it was lights out. A beautiful beautiful performance by Sam Stout. Not taking anything away from Eve Edwards. He's a, he's a fantastic fighter. I've watched him fight on numerous occasions in numerous organizations, and sometimes you just get caught. Let's go into the pay-per-view side of things. Donald Cerrone and Wagner Roca was actually not what I expected, only because I expected uh, the Cowboy to steamroll through Wagner, but unfortunately that was not the case. He proved to be... Uh, a little bit more of a game opponent than I gave him credit for, and Cerrone ended up taking the fight via unanimous decision. On the heavyweight side of things, uh, John Olov, Inemo, who was originally scheduled to face Shane Carwin, met Dave Herman. Uh, I was really excited to see this. Um, John Inemo comes from the Golden Glory camp in Holland. Uh, Such great products come out of there, including the Demolition Man, Alistair Overeem, Marlos Kunin, just just talented, real talented strikers come out of Golden Glory. And I expected to see that same type of aggressive striking, but Inemo's first round was solid. He was crisp, and he was really good. But 
Ed Herman, uh, Ed Herman, excuse me, Dave Herman came in there and put it on him. It was it was a wrap. I was surprised the way it went. Uh, Dave Herman was outweighed by at least 30 pounds in this fight, and he took it via uh, strikes in round two. Again, bummed that Inemo didn't have the performance I expected, but I also think that it was a little bit of cage rust. Not only that, but just being in front of that crowd. I think that uh, Inemo's a guy to watch in the heavyweight division. His striking looked really good, and you could really see that golden glory violence um, in full effect. So totally bummed by the outcome, but not not to the point where I was disappointed because for, this is the guy's first time in the cage, and sometimes you get octagon jitters. Moving into the middleweight side of things, Damian Maya and Mark Munoz locked up. And um, I really expected Maya to come in and use his great Brazilian jiu-jitsu to secure the victory, but that was not the case. Mark Munoz ended up taking this fight by unanimous decision. Now we get into the two, the co-main event and the main event. The co-main event for the featherweights was Kenny Florian making his featherweight debut against uh, Diego Nunes. Not a big Kenny Florian fan. I feel that he's jumped from division to division just looking for an opportunity to get a, a title shot. I could be wrong, but I think that, 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 again, my opinion, Kenny Florian, talented guy, but he just seems to be jumping from division to division looking for, and it, not that it's a bad thing, but just kind of looking for an easier road to um, a belt with his victory over Diego Nunes. There are rumors that Kenny Florian may fight Jose Aldo. I will tell you right now, Kenny Florian will have his lunch money taken from him by Jose Aldo and his head stuffed in a proverbial fucking toilet because it's two different calibers of fighters. Kenny Florian is good. Jose Aldo's little Anderson Silva just put in ass whoopings on motherfuckers ASAP. So to, to write off Kenny Florian is, is a little foul of me, but I'm just, I'm just not a fan of the way he, he projects himself. And, he could be the nicest guy ever, but he just doesn't come off that way. Last but not least, the main event, Junior Dos Santos and Shane Carwin. Um, Shane Carwin came in a lot lighter than we've seen Shane Carwin. Shane Carwin usually comes in at exactly, you know, 260, 262. Came in, he was about 20 pounds lighter, maybe 22 pounds lighter, fit, slim and trim, and... I was, again, shocked by the outcome only because Dos Santos, it was expected that somebody was getting knocked out in this fight, and I and I called it every time I talked about it, and I was totally proven wrong. The, Dos Santos went in there, uh, just really great work uh, with the striking against Carwin. Carwin just didn't seem to be in his groove when I was on Knockout MMA this week on a Knockout MMA radio. We discussed this, and my... My reasoning, at least for me, is that Shane Carwin's strength couldn't catch up with his weight loss in the sense that he dropped all that weight and that power that he had that he used to put behind his punches was gone. But there are other ways where your strength can return to you with regards to striking. And I think it's just a matter that his body hadn't acclimated to this new weight. And I think give, give, him, give him one more shot. I think he should be fine and have a better performance. Dos Santos looked crisp, though. My only gripe with Dos Santos is that he's going in there against Cain Velasquez, and this is a guy whose striking is talked about and his KO power is spoken, uh, spoken about very highly. And I honestly feel that he, he, couldn't put away, um, he couldn't put away 
big country Nelson, and he couldn't put away Shane Carwin. That's not to say that either of those two guys sucked, but I think that when you're at that level and your striking is touted so heavily, maybe it's just a, an issue that those guys were tougher, which it could be the case. But on the flip side, I think he's got to step his game up if he wants to go in there and take that belt from Kane. I think Kane Velasquez has greater striking, better wrestling, and I have a feeling that it's going to be a competitive fight with Junior Dos Santos, but it's not going to be on a level where he's in jeopardy of losing his belt. But in MMA, anything can happen, so let me not talk too much shit, and um, we'll leave it at that. All right, that's going to wrap up UFC 131. Let me just go through some MMA news. A couple of things this weekend, Strike Force Heavyweight Grand Prix. We got the Heavyweight Grand Prix opening rounds as your main event and co-main event on Showtime, 10 p.m. If you have Showtime, do yourselves a favor. Definitely check out Strike Force's offerings. They got some really great talent on the card this week, this weekend. The preliminary card is going to be broadcast on HDNet. Um, the main event on the preliminary card is a Jay-Z Cavalcante and Justin Wilcox. You also got Magno Almeida and Connor Hewan on that card. Definitely two fights that I'm very interested in. Um, there's three other fights in the Sean Burrell and Joe Ray, uh, Mike Bronzolis and Todd Moore, uh, Brian Melancon and Isaac, uh, Valley flag are also fighting on the prelims, but the Jay-Z Cavalcante fight is a fight. I'm really looking forward to on the main card. You had Jorge Masvidal and KJ Nunes, which is ridiculous. KJ Nunes has great striking. Masvidal is just on, on a whole other level. I think it's going to be an exciting opener for the Showtime portion of the card. And then you got Chad Griggs and Valentin Overeem, brother of Alistair Overeem. I have a feeling that that's just going to be a, a striking war. Chad, Chad Griggs loves to exchange. He likes to break guys' spirits with his striking, as we've seen with his fight with Bobby Lashley. Also on that card, Daniel Cormier versus Jeff Monson. I can't even pick between these two guys. I'm a fan of Daniel Cormier because he's a wrestler that likes to go in there and trade on the stand-up. And Jeff Monson is just a legend. His jiu-jitsu is legendary. And I have a feeling that the battle between jiu-jitsu practitioner and wrestler isn't going to be decided on the ground. I think it's going to be decided on the feet. Josh Barnett and Brett Rogers is your co-main event. Huge fan of the baby-faced assassin. The guy has tons of charisma, knows how to sell a fight. I like Brett Rogers, too. He has a great story. But I just I can't root against Barnett because he's, he's on a whole other level of crazy. And, of course, the main event... Alistair Overeem and Fabricio Verdum. Verdum, of course, coming off that victory against Fedor Emelianenko. And you got Overeem trying to cement his legacy as one of the most dominant heavyweights in the sport today. It's going to be very exciting to see. A lot of people are going – there's a lot of people favoring Overeem for a multitude of reasons. I'm actually favoring Overeem because of the fight is kept standing – I think he has the tools to definitely go in there, maybe use the, the, the signature Overeem knee and work the tie clinch and secure the victory. Now, from the ground, the ground side of things, Verdum has, has a really great chance of taking it to the ground and using his Brazilian jiu-jitsu to submit Overeem. So to sit there and, and give you a clear-cut winner would be a disservice to both of these fighters. I just feel that the card from top to bottom is going to be exciting. So do yourselves a favor. If you got showtime, check it out. We'll be watching it uh, this Saturday myself, uh, my wife, and, and probably Slick will come through, and we'll watch the fights 
And of course, you know, we'll have a couple of laughs about it, but it's always exciting, the Heavyweight Grand Prix, and you should definitely check it out if you got Showtime. Now, I want to go into a couple of other things. Of course, last week during Fight Week, which I didn't get to touch on last week, Dana White gave us a lot of insight into a couple of different things that are going on and a couple of rumors and speculation, and he addressed it. First thing was when he was asked about the UFC, uh, the, the official UFC channel and the TV situation, when asked about the TV situation in general, he said the following. I told you guys the last time we all talked, we're talking to everybody right now. It actually blew my mind that huge media sources would go out and announce, go out and announce that when there is no deal. It's crazy to me. The deal he's referring to is the UFC buying a, a stake in G4, which is not officially out there. Whether they're talking or not remains to be seen, but the UFC securing a stake in G4 would allow the UFC to offer tons of MMA programming on basically their own network. So it should be interesting to see how that pans out. When asked about Spike TV and how they're preparing for life after the UFC, he stated, I have no idea. I don't know. Maybe they are. And he reiterated, I told you guys last time we're in negotiations and negotiations are never fun. So he pretty much addressed all those rumors. I think that the UFC has a better fan base being with Spike TV only because it's a network that caters to guys, which while it is cliched and it's, and it is silly, it does capture that demographic, that 18 to 39 demographic that people are going to want to definitely capture. And I think that the UFC has that secured with Spike TV. I feel that G4, you can't even here in New York city, I have files. You can't even see G4 in HD. So the UFC switching to G4 and them not even having programming in HD is going to suck, period. So um, that's my take on that. I, I honestly would like them to remain with Spike TV. I think G4 needs to work on building their own programming. Right now their their programming is in a bit of shambles, and DirecTV and Comcast are not very happy with the ratings that they're getting from the network. But, of course, if you want to correct that, Put out better programming. Stop putting, you know, 17 episodes of Cops and Cheaters and replaying Predator 17 times and not focusing on what you're known for, namely video games and, and geek culture, and then maybe people will take you fuckers seriously. <sighs> Moving on, because I can sit here and shit on G4 for hours on end, but their E3 coverage kind of gave me a little bit of hope, so we'll leave it at that. Dana White was also asked about Nick Diaz and also the upcoming season of The Ultimate Fighter. He said that Nick Diaz was surrendering the Strike Force welterweight title to go into the UFC and challenge George St. Pierre. When asked about the Ultimate Fighter Season 14, he said that now fighters will be fighting to get into the house, thank God. And he wants to make sure that as many of those fights air on TV as possible. He feels that some of the fights that were seen were the best fights in the history of the Ultimate Fighter. He stated that those are some nasty guys on that season. Just a show opener is better than the entire last season's fights. With that, Spike TV also made sure to officially announce that the Ultimate Fighter Season 14 is in full effect. 32 fighters are competing in the elimination round of fights. Winners of those fights will go into the house. There will be no more wild card picks. There will be no more wild card fights. Thank God, because those fucking sucked. Also, eight fighters are going to compete on the welterweight division, and eight fighters will be competing in the bantamweight division as well. The coaches will be Michael Bisping and Jason Mayhem Miller for the Ultimate Fighter Season 14. Hold on one second. 
Slick is telling me uh, that he is having some issues reaching our guest. So I am trying to rectify that situation. Next up, we got. I want to talk about some fighter bonuses from UFC 131. Uh, $70,000 bonuses were doled out. KO of the night went to Sam Stout. Submission of the night went to Chris Weedman. And fight of the night went to John Olavi Nemo and Dave Herman, um, which I was surprised just because, you know, I kind of thought that Dos Santos and Carwin was a solid fight. But, hey, fight of the, fight of the night honors, nice $70,000 bonus. We'll see how it goes. In some other Strike Force news, we got Strike Force Challenger 17, July 22nd. Uh, much like some of the other MMA offerings out there from Strike Force, Strike Force Challengers is a really great show. You get to see some of the up and coming MMA prospects in a cable setting, and they really do have some some good fights for this next Challenger series. You got Roger Bowling and Bobby Volker. Um, we got some women's MMA with Sarah Kaufman and Liz Carmouche. LeVar Johnson, who I, I, I really like watching fight, is fighting Devin Cole. And Adlan Amagov and Ronald Stallings will also be fighting on the Strike Force Challengers 17. Jumping back into some UFC news, they've announced a heavyweight bout between Ben Rothwell and Mark Hunt for UFC 135. UFC 135 is supposed to be taking place September 24th in Denver. The main event is supposed to be John Jones and Rampage for the light heavyweight title. We also got a rumored fight between Matt Hughes and Diego Sanchez. In addition, Demacio Page and Kid Yamamoto, which is going to be sick, and now Mark Hunt and Beth, Ben Rothwell. A lot of people seem to have written off Mark Hunt. Mark Hunt is a, is a, is a really solid striker. I've seen his uh, K1, his kickboxing fights, and definitely a guy not to write off so quickly. Some people are saying that this is, a, uh, this is the I go and take a piss match. I sincerely hope that's not the case, but... It is what it is. I actually would like to see Mark Hunt fight because he is an exciting striker. Why the hell are my notes all fucked up? Jesus Christ. Um, in some other Strike Force news, Christiane Cyborg Santos went on record saying that she is waiting for her Strike Force contract to expire, and the reason why she has not fought for the organization is because, because they can't come to terms with money, which I can understand only because she was getting paid a certain rate. Now she's the champion for the organization. She's one of the most dominant fighters that they have. They have no competition for her. So it's a no-brainer that she was going to renegotiate. But what's the point, and, and this is fucked up of me to say, but what's the point of, of renegotiating when you have no opponents? What's she going to do, fight Gina Carano again? Maybe a fight with Marluz Kunin if she goes up in weight? I... I the the prospect of Cyborg is great, but I feel that Strike Force's women's division at this point isn't where it should be. I mean, there's a lot of great female talent out there that they really should be getting, considering that they have belts for two, actually, I believe, three women's uh, title belts for varying weight classes, which are, are there to be defended. And I think in Cyborg's case, she's just too much of a dominant fighter. But you guys got to go out there, got to go out there and get some talent because. I think that that's one of the reasons why Cyborg um, isn't doing what she should be doing in that organization. <sighs> Next up, UFC 133 is finalized with 12 bouts. That's going to be taking place August 6th excuse me, at the Wells Fargo Arena in PA. Phil Davis and Rashad Evans is your main event. Rich Franklin and Little Nog are 
your is your co-main event. Akiyama and Vitor Belfort are also on the card. Jorge Rivera and Sakara will be meeting up, as will Rory McDonald and Mike Pyle. Last but not least, um, on the prelims, Alexander Gustafsson and Vladimir Matyshenko, Chad Mendes and Ronnie Yaya, Brian Ebersole and Dennis Holman, also Ivan Menjabar and Nick Pace. And one fight I really want to see, uh, Mike Brown and Nam Fan, and also Ricky Fakuda and Rafael Natal, a.k.a. Sapo. So great fights for UFC 133 out of Philly. Super excited for that. We're going to take a quick commercial break while I figure out what the deal is with the guest situation. And when we come back, hopefully we will have Garib Sheamus on the line and we can talk about Wizard World right after this. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like... (laughs) Well, you won't listen to that on our show because we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that, that has horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter, Video Game News Radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights on all games. All right, and we're back. I think that there are some issues with our new switchboard, which I wanted to address. It seems that we are... uh, testing out a brand new switchboard from blog talk radio. And we're trying to figure out what the story is with that. Basically they gave us a new switchboard to beta test, which we tested last week. And it seems that the bugs are still being worked out from what I gather. I think that slick had some issues on his end with the switchboard and he just notified me of that. I know there were some issues. I believe that Garib may have been on the line with Dave from Denver, which, um, you know, I'm sure I'm sure it was definitely awkward. So I'm hoping that they got that straightened out and we can proceed with the interview. But until then, I will just uh, mention a little bit of the wrestling stuff because it's not too much. And a couple of really good things really did happen this week that I wanted to mention. So we'll talk a little bit of wrestling as well. The World Wrestling Federation for over 50 years, the revolutionary force. All right. I want to start off with TNA. I usually play the TNA or the Raw intro, but I figured we'd do a nice little throwback and use that retro WWE intro from the late 80s, right, I believe, into the early 90s. No, I think it was probably into into the end of the 80s, and then they used the Attitude Era intro. But regardless of that, Slammiversary was this past Sunday, uh, Sting and Mr. Anderson was your heavyweight, it was your championship match or your main event. And the funny thing about this card is that some people, it, it, it's really, really divided the wrestling community. I've had people tell me that they thought it really, it was really terrible. Some people thought that it was garbage. But um, you know what? We will discuss that right after I fin- I get into this interview with Garib. Hopefully everything got squared away, and we can bring them on. Hey, Garib, you're on the air. Are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, now I can hear you. You, uh, okay. you were breaking yeah, a little bit. I've been here the whole time. All right. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate you taking the time to come through. Oh, my pleasure. Great to be here. All right. Um, first off, of course, you are the president and CEO of Wizard World Entertainment, formerly Wizard. 
Um, you guys do conventions now. You guys were also in charge of the Wizard publication and Toy Fair and a couple of other magazines I've read. But um, we'll start off with just a little bit about yourself. I know that Wizard has been out, I believe, since 1991, if I remember correctly, because I, I think that's when I started reading Wizard. Yeah, so yeah, I started the magazine uh, almost 20 years ago, and then um, and then recently um, I shut the print magazine down and I started a new company that focused all on 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 digital media and how we were going to really create a lot of news and information on and disseminate it to people in a in a very uh, social and and digital way to get out to the audience, and then also recently. I've been acquiring a lot of the regional Comic-Cons throughout North America and putting a whole tour together. So we have a whole bunch of shows that we've been, you know, putting together and going on the road and, and tying it into all of our new digital stuff that we're doing. And it's, it's really been very exciting to be able to reach fans directly now. No intermediaries. We, we just talk to our fans both live and online now. It's really, uh, it's really been a fascinating uh, experience for us. Well, the fun, one funny thing I wanted to share about that is I've been I've been reading Wizard for ages. I still have, ma you know, Wizard magazines. One of my favorites was one that I have with with Venom on the cover, and he's on the uh, with the purple and with the purple with the stars. He's ripping the the purple with stars on the yeah. cover. And that's a you know that's one that I actually still have. I believe in plastic in the other side of my room. And I was and I'll be very honest in telling you I was kind of heartbroken when the when the Wizard publication and Toy Fair announced that they were going to be ceasing publication and you were going to switch to a digital format. Not because I had no issue embracing digital, but just because it was something I pretty much grew up reading on a consistent basis. One thing I wanted to ask you, was it just a, an, an evolution of the medium or what, what prompted that so suddenly? Because, you know, most, most magazines start switching to digital and they kind of gradually do it. You guys did it almost very sudden in, in my eyes. Yeah, well, the thing is that um, it wasn't something that happened suddenly, even though it may have appeared that way from a consumer standpoint. But what's happened in the media, especially in the publishing world, is that, is that it's become very, very difficult to find your audience in the print media world. So you have to, you know, create a product. You have to print it, ship it, distribute it into locations and hope that the consumer you want finds the product, then buys it. And it's a very cumbersome process to be able to do that. Um, and then also, so many people um, are consuming their media, their, their entertainment and their content um, in, a, in a digital way now and through, media, and through their mobile devices. And, you know, when you look at how many people are interested in, in what, what I have to say or what, uh, what's going on out there and how we want to talk about it, um, the best way to do that is in a digital voice so that you can expose your product to people all over the world at any time versus having it uh, very selectively distributed in a print format in local places. So, um, so by being able to shut the magazines down and I started an all-new digital business to focus on, you know, creating content um, and distributing content, you know, worldwide, we've been able to significantly increase, you know, our worldwide base of consumers that we know are interested in that. And, um, and then the other aspect of it is, you know, just the, the whole social nature of the material. Um, you know, when you look at something that's in print, it's, it's 
other than handing somebody the magazine, it's really impossible to share that that material. And uh, being in the digital format, you know, one of the one of the one of the greatest resources that we have um, is our fans and and our access to our fans and and how they see us as as a voice and as somebody that they trust um, and they've trusted kind of my instinct and my staff for for 20 years and be able to now give our audience the material in a digital format that they can now curate to their fans and their friends and their Rolodexes through Facebook and Twitter and through their social media sources um, are really kind of leveraging the power of our audience to really get the word out on what we're doing. So, you know, our, our audience size has been able to exponentially grow because of our, our acceptance of, of how they want the material uh, delivered to them. Well, with, with regards to that, and I and I really I did enjoy the 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 digital offering from Wizard. You know, I have an iPad, so I read I read the Wizard oh, publication that way. And it, it really is it really is a great way to consume content. It allows a little bit more of interactivity. I just felt that at that time, it's like anything else. You know, you you go into your comic store, you grab your local Wizard. You know, you you open it up, you go through it, you look at all the cool stuff, you tell your guy at the comic store what you want to order. I just felt that that was the the changing of the guard was was the death knell. You know, you know, just for that in general. The same thing with the with the comic shop switching to you know digital and day of release uh, comics. It, it's it, it kind of worries me just from from the mom and pop comic shop standpoint. And I, I was a little I was a little apprehensive, but once I started seeing the offerings on the iPad, by the time I got to the third issue, I said, Yeah, I see why they did what they did. And I'm sure you got a, a little bit of negative press when the when both publications shut down, but you guys have evolved well and your your shows have improved significantly. Right. Well the thing is that, that whenever whenever there's a you know kind of a shift in, in, in the way people change their habits, um, there's always going to be some friction in the marketplace um, until people see um, you know what new thing is going to come out of it. Uh, you know, and we kind of joke that, you know, you know, people are, are you know, they're sticking three toes in the water, but they're not getting wet. You know, they're just, they're, 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 they, they don't have a, a strategy. You know, they're trying things or they're dabbling. And in order for these types of things to work, um, it's really important to make a stand and to, to stick with it and to, and to make sure that that's where you're putting all your resources. Uh, because so many times people are, are trying to service too many different uh, masters, so to speak, and, and they wind up uh, not not doing anything well, and we find that that's what happens a lot of time. And, and you know, by being out of the the print and distribution business and into the business where we can interact directly with our fans without any intermediaries, you know, that is that is that is the special relationship you know, that I've had for 20 years, you know, and that we feel like, you know, we're offering now. So when you when you download our iPad app and you read our magazine, you don't have to go through a third party to get that. You go directly to us to get that. And so now there's no more friction between, um, between us talking to you and you talking to us. And we didn't want to have this interim step, you know, where... Where where we're kind of in, we're kind of out, and when you look at a lot of the big publishers out there, you know whether it's the newspapers or the magazines or or even the comic books, 
you know, where they have, you know, most of them are, are what they're doing is they're, they're creating a digital version of their print product. And, you know, you know, they think they're creating digital products, but all they're really doing is creating a digital version of the print. And, and whereas the digital is not the primary, the primary product that they're producing. Um, you know, they're still producing the print as the primary product. And in order to make that shift, you know, I had to start, you know, kind of a new opportunity where, where digital is primary focus of, of what we're doing. Um, and, and that's really where, you know, our, our focus is gone. And it's worked out, you know, extremely well in, in being able to, to create a product that people love in the right format. So when you read, when you read our digital edition, you don't feel like you're reading, you know, a, something else. You're, you feel like you're reading something that was created very specifically for the, for the product or for the media that you're, that you're, that you're reading it on. Oh yeah, it didn't feel forked at all. That's one thing that it, that I enjoyed when I started reading it. You know, because the first issue, like anything else, you're working all the bugs out. By the third and fourth issue, I was like, now I see what, why they were going in this direction. Because you're you can actually now you know write an article, put a and talking about a, a certain trailer and put the trailer right in the article. That level of interactivity and engagement definitely helps, and it speaks volumes, especially when you want to do previews for certain books, and even now with the recent inclusion of the of the price guide, which was something I felt that you know would bum me out the most because I always like looking in the back and seeing what was hot with with certain comics and what they were going for, just because I have a a pretty decent sized collection. So uh, I really like that you guys are trying to do a fresh pitch on it because I do see that also where certain magazines kind of force their content in there where they pretty much scan an issue in via PDF and then expect to charge people for it. You guys are offering it, and you're offering it at no cost, and it's just as clean and concise as if, as if it was a standalone product. Right, and, and that thing is that, you know, when you look at, you know, how people do media, you know, yes, you know, it's a free product that comes out all the time. And, you know, because now that we've been able to, you know, dramatically increase you know, the, the amount of people that we have access to, you know, we could sell advertising against that, you know, that that, that, that could potentially way exceed, you know, any kind of sales people could make on a print product. Um, so it's, um, you know, so that's why, you know, it was really important to start the new business, you know, as a digital, where, where our digital strategy was primary um, to how we're going to do it because, you know, you think about things very, very differently in terms of how you're going to create content or how you're going to deliver content and how people are going to consume it, um, and especially with all the social functions that, that, that you have access to now in the world, um, you know, we're, we're going to be able to, to create some really new and innovative and really be on the cusp of how people deliver this material you know, versus always playing catch-up. You know, we're going to be... You know, people want to be able to consume this material on mobile devices and all kinds of uh, different places. And and now we're be, we're we're able to create products, create content that can live on many many different devices. So all these people that are either producing a print product or they just have a blog or they have a website, you know, they're all gonna, they're all going to be left behind because they're just you know they're they're very one dimensional you know, in their ability to reach consumers, you know, whereas we are very, very multidimensional, and especially because we have, 
all the events, you know, where we literally have hundreds and hundreds of guests at every single show. Um, have so much content that we now can leverage through across our media platform. So, like, you know, at a show that we have this weekend, we shoot a lot of video that now people are going to be able to see videos from all the celebrities and all the artists and writers that are going to be at our shows, and they can watch them on YouTube. So, you know, even though we'll have tens of thousands of people, you know, at the event live, we have access to millions of people, you know, that can't make it to the show to be able to see what's going on. So it really works very, very well for us, kind of as uh, the offline, on, offline and online strategy to be able to reach consumers on a worldwide basis you know, with some really amazing content that we that we're not we're not tethered to anything. We're not we don't have a noose around our neck. We we have the ability to just you know, get it out there directly to consumers. Um, so it's really um, it's really been very both eye opening and um, and also you know it gets back to you know our pioneering spirit. So a lot of because the product is free and what we deliver on the content side is free. Uh, we can focus on really new and innovative things that are coming out. I, we don't have to focus on the things that everybody wants to see or expects to see. We can now deliver content to people that we that, that we want to show people, that we want people to discover for the first time. And uh, that, that really kind of gets back to my root and being able to expose people to things that they've never seen before, maybe only a few people have seen, that they can now discover for themselves with us. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's really exciting. It's really, it's actually been a lot of fun. Well, one one thing I wanted to ask you with that, you were saying how you guys absorbed a lot of the smaller shows. I remember, you know, you guys absorbed the Big Apple, the the original Big Apple Comic Con that used to happen at the um, at the Penn Plaza. And now you guys are, are running this show, which I went to the New York show, and we actually covered it on the site. And I got to meet Jerry as well. Do you guys... How do you guys go about choosing the venues and figuring out which other, you know, which other cons you guys are going to try and absorb? Um, for us, it's really, um, you know, our biggest primary uh, strategy is really, you know, just being the big markets, especially. You know, so when you look at a lot of the cities that we have, uh, we have uh, New York with our Big Apple, we have Philly, we have Chicago, we have Austin, we have Boston. We have Anaheim. We just were launching an L.A. show at the L.A. Convention Center at uh, September 24th and 5th. Uh, we've got New Orleans. So we, what we're doing is we're really uh, strategically uh, in Toronto, and we're, we're strategically putting shows on in places where we have not only a great reach from a, from a, from a media market standpoint, but places that, that our, our celebrities and, and guests want to go to, Places where we have very large consumer and sole consumer bases of people that that really want to come out and enjoy what we do, um, and and really if you kind of draw a ring around those certain cities, you know, 120, 180 miles out, um, you know, there's really we have access to a very very large percentage of the population of the country uh, through all of our events, and that's really what we want to do. We really want to bring these shows out on the road. Because people have this um, this false notion that these kind of shows are are national, and quite frankly, they're really you know shows are regional. You know, when you go to concerts, 
they're regional. When you go to sporting events, they're regional. Now, even though they're national in scope, you know, on television or online, they're really regional when it comes to people that, that physically go to them. So what we want to do is we really want to make our shows very, very accessible to people all over North America to be able to attend. But yet by having the whole digital side of our business, we're making the shows available to everybody on a worldwide basis. You know, it, and that, that approach actually works because you're hitting a lot of the really large markets. One thing I wanted to ask you in visiting the New York show, and it, and it did show you guys are, are kind of outgrowing the space a little bit. Um, have you guys looked at, at, at other venues to expand that? Just because when I, when I was there, I've gone to that venue for other, for other comic cons, but you guys had so much of a presence there between all the celebrities on the first floor, all the vendors upstairs. You guys had a really, uh, really large artist alley. I've met a lot of really talented artists and bought a lot of a decent amount of artwork. But have you guys looked at other at other venues for us here in New York only because you guys are growing so fast and the turnouts are so big now? Yeah, we're always looking for new we're, we're always looking for either new venues or new opportunities um for our shows. Um you know, we're we have uh we've had some some really nice growth um in the event business. So, you know, from that standpoint, we're always looking for for opportunities to grow, what, what's the best size for the event. You know, a lot of times, you know, you're planning a show a uh, year plus in advance and you've got to book the hall, and then you get there, and then all of a sudden, you know, a lot of people show up and a lot of vendors want to be a part of it. And, you know, you don't, you don't know that going in a year from, uh, or, you know, a year earlier. You know, so you really kind of have to have some good predictions about your business. You know, in some cases, in a lot of cases, in, in a good way for us, um, you know, we've been able to to get a lot of you know, people to our shows. You know, that, uh, that it's really, you know, a lot of these kind of decisions that you make, you know, as far as where you're going to be and the size of the room are made very, very well, very, very far in advance. So, you know, you just, once you get there and you know, it turns out, so then you have to uh, plan for the next year. So, like, last year, our Philly show, um, we, had, we had a lot of people show up, and we had a lot of dealers there and a lot of exhibitors. And we felt like with the momentum that we had and the growth that we had over the prior year, you know, we, we kind of felt a lot of momentum moving into this year. So we were able to get a bigger room, and we were able to, you know, as people will see, the show is bigger. There's a lot more exhibitors that are going to be there. Um, and then judging by, you know, getting kind of the, the interest that we're getting from the fan side, uh, we know that, um, you know, there's going to be a lot more people at the show this year. Yeah, I think, I think I remember I went to one event. I, I, I'm not sure you guys had taken over at that point when they did it at the Seaport, when the, when the New York show was done at the, at the South Street Seaport. That was a, a huge, a huge venue, and I, I'm yeah. surprised you haven't expanded into the the Javits at this point. Just because, like I said, you guys have so much to offer now, so many vendors, so many celebrities, and you know, I kind of, I kind of am jealous that the guys in Philly are getting a, a ton of a ton of other stuff that that we didn't get here in New York. Just a smidge of jealousy. <laughs> right. Well, Philly's Philly's uh, Philly's in uh, you know a great market. And uh, the fans have really responded out here. Um, and yeah, New York is New York. Um, you know, there's a lot of space constraints in New York. There's not a lot of open space there. 
So, you know, it is a challenging um, city to work in. Yeah, I think I, you know, like I, that's just me. That's the, 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 the fanboy in me speaking out just because the, the Philly show has, has so many guys and I know I wouldn't be able to make the drive for Philly. I'm glad I got the opportunity to cover New York and I'm looking, I'm like, oh man. So I know that, I know there's a, I know there's a bunch of guys in Philly that you want to say, like uh, Goldberg, I'm sure. Yeah, right? Goldberg, Goldberg, Bruce Campbell, um, Ethan Van Skyver, who I'm a huge fan of. Just you guys, you guys, you know. I got to see Arthur Suidam at the New York show. I got to meet Greg Horn. Um, those are always great guys to meet. But but you you guys kind of pulled out all the stops for Philly. Not to yeah, not to you yeah, know. We, yeah, not Adam Baldwin coming. Michael Bean. Uh, we got uh, Billy D. Williams, who's unbelievable. Uh, Adam West and Burt Ward, of course. Um, we got John Schneider coming too, and we got the whole um, the, the data, you know, the um, the um, got Carr there as well. It's going to be, uh, you know, so you can take pictures with him, and uh, it's really, really a great uh, experience that people are going to have this weekend. We also have a lot of artists that we're flying in from all over the world, guys like Roberto Ramos and Carlos Pacheco, you know, people that haven't seen Doug Braithwaite, people that um, the fans have not seen in a very long time. Yeah, you guys, you guys go to great lengths to to get certain guests. That certain certain guests, I look and I'm like, wow, they really got those the you know this person and that person. They're like, when you got Adam West and Burt Wars there, you know, I was I was very impressed just because seeing them together and then you get you know, so many actors and actresses in there as well. It's it's kind of become more of just a a mainstream event. It's not so much um, you know comic book oriented. I mean, when when my wife wrote an article about it, she you know, she's not as much into it as I am. And then she goes to the events and she ends up having a blast because there's so many other people in there from TV and from movies that she knows that it helps her feel at ease. So I definitely want to commend you for, for kind of going that, that mainstream approach with it as well. Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of the show. You know, you could be, you know, the most hardcore fan or you could be the most casual fan you can be able to come to the show and really find something fun and exciting to do. Uh, we bring in a lot of guests that appeal to a diverse group of people. Uh, we're very good about bringing in diversity of guests as well, um, so that we have a, we have a pretty large appeal to our audience. Um, and yeah, I mean we have 270 artists and writers in our artist alley area. I mean that's pretty extraordinary. I mean if you look there. It's, you know, it's, it's more than one day's worth of uh, walking around to, to get to take in everything. So um, it's going to be uh, it's going to be great experience for people that come to the show. We also do kids kind of under free, so we also make it very accessible for families, and we really encourage people people bring out their kids. You know, they're going to have a great time, and it really kind of gets a new generation of kids excited about what's going on out there. Um, also, it's a very big weekend uh, with Green Lantern coming out. Uh, we have over 20, uh, we have 20 artists, writers that have made a massive impact on Green Lantern over the time. Uh, so they're going to be at the show, you know, especially Fans Diver and a few others that, um, you know, people are going to really be in the, in the Green Lantern spirit. So we're uh, we're really excited about that as a, as a real hub for people. Yeah, I think I think the putting this the the Philly show around 
the release of Green Lantern was 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 smart marketing, and I think there's going to be a a huge presence for that. One thing I had wanted to ask you, I know that you got the the Chicago one in August. When you guys are, and this kind of goes back to the to the booking of the venues, when you guys are planning your your guest role, are you doing it based on you know the the geographical limitations? Like for certain celebrities that you guys get, do you guys have to plan very far in advance to get those people there for those specific days? Absolutely. I mean that's. That's, um, that's really a lot of the show is, is all the pre-planning for it uh, and working pretty far in advance because a lot of times, you know, whether it's the artists, the writers, the celebrities, you know, they have schedules or deadlines that might be shooting a movie or a movie show that we have to work around. And um, a lot of times, you know, they don't know their schedule or they know it a year in advance. So we have to make some pretty early decisions on people. Um, and then a lot of times, you know, it's just timing, you know. They might be shooting in August, so we can't get them for Chicago, but they're available in November um, to go to Austin. Or a lot of times you have a lot, because we have so many different cities, a lot of people say, oh, you know what, I haven't been to New Orleans. You know, and uh, Katrina, they have a real sense of, you know what, I want to go to the city, I want to feel my support there. So then they, they want to go to New Orleans or, you know, the... Um, you know, they, they haven't been to L.A., or they feel like they could go to L.A. and, and get a lot of other meetings taken care of. So that's a great opportunity to come out, enjoy the show, and then also uh, get some business done. So, you know, a lot of people have, you know, a lot of different reasons why timing or place is a factor. That's the beauty of having so many events throughout the country throughout the year, is that we really can accommodate those people um, around their schedule. Well, one thing one thing I got to ask you, with with so many conventions under your belt, which and, and and I'm sure you probably have a couple, but what's what's your favorite city to do a show at? I, I'm sure you oh might have. God, you're gonna make me. You're gonna make me pick which style I like better. Um, well, they're they're all very unique. Um, they're all special and unique in a very different way. So, like Philly, for instance, it's it's really. What's great about Philly is that it's all really tight in a very big city. So the convention center's right here. All the hotels are here. The food is amazing in the city, and it's right at the convention center, right across the street with the Ready Market. Um, it's easy to get to from mass transit. It's easy to get to with public transportation or, or driving. Um, you're, you're, you're New York to, to Washington to uh, so uh, Baltimore, all the way up to Boston. I mean, so it's very easily accessible to anybody in the Northeast. Um, Chicago is great. I mean, I've been doing that show for a long time. It's just such a warm place for us because people love what we do and they really respond to it. It's our biggest event, second largest convention in the country um, uh, in, in, in our space. And then you also have uh, you know, Austin. Which is also an amazing city with all the uh, with all the kind of uh, bars and the music scene and, and it's just a, a city that's really embraced the art and we found the same thing in New Orleans. It's a it's a very very welcoming city for the art and a great community there. But everywhere we go, there's just something really special about every city that we do. You know that makes him that, that we also foster and help make unique, and um, you know it's really 
you know, every show we make, we we make special to kind of play off why why people would like to go to that show. Yeah, you guys do capture the local vibe really well. I mean, one of the things I enjoyed when I went to the to the Comic Con recently was. You know, you had so many of the guys, like like a lot of the Star Wars stormtroopers and guys that are really local that were there representing the city. And it was really great to see people outside just walking around on, on 34th Street in costume and seeing so many pictures taken. We we took a lot of photos of, of just people outside. And I really like that you guys now have, you know, a camera crew and an interview crew going around and doing stuff for YouTube. I think that the, the social media component has been great for you guys. Yeah, thank you. Um, and we, we we encourage that. You know, our our shows are are really very welcoming to people, uh, no matter what they enjoy or what they like or what they're into. You know, we try to create an environment um, for people that 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 is very open arms and and they're they're all welcome and it doesn't matter whether they're into Star Wars or Buffy or Spider Man or Batman. Uh, it doesn't matter. You know, we want people to come out and have a great time and be who they are. Um, and we're very uh, we're very uh, embracing that diversity. Well, you, you know, you guys are, are doing a great job. The, uh, the the last question I had for you, and 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 you may or may not answer it, it remains to be seen. When you, out of all the celebrities you've booked, have you've had one one that's been the most extremely difficult celebrity to book for an event? We had. We had um, no, you know, we, we were actually pretty good about, I mean, we definitely have people that have been a pain in the neck over the, over the years, but but even with our shows, you know, we also want guests that want to be here. So if we find if we find celebrities or artists or writers and and they, they come in with an attitude, you know, like they're doing you a favor or, or you know, they don't want to be doing this, but they're here anyway. So then that translates to the fan experience. And if fans aren't going to have a great time, then then we don't want them at the show, no matter how big a name they might be or how important they think they are. Um, at the end of the day, if fans, if they don't relate to the fans, you know, then we don't want them at the show. We're very good about bringing in the celebrities and the talent that really like to be a part of this event or be a part of our event. Um, and, and it shows. Because the fans, at the end of the day, if the fans don't have a great time, it reflects on us. So we want to make sure they have a great time. So we make sure that we pick guests that, that are really excited about being a part of what we do. Yeah, I think I think one, and, and it was funny because, uh, you, you know, some, some of our staff, and when we went, um, we got to see Morena Baccarin from V. And she kind of seemed to be having a bad day, so we weren't we weren't sure about approaching her for for a photo and interview, just because you know one when we were in there it was excruciatingly hot, so maybe she was just having a, a shitty day. So you know that's why I brought that up because I, I figured I'd ask in case you know you've had a celebrity too that have given you a hard time. Oh no, Marina was a sweetheart. She was great. She loved it. You know, a lot of you know, we like the celebrities that really like meeting their fans. She had a great time. Tom Felton had a great show. Um, it was it was really uh, we got praises all around, you know, for that event. So it was great that you guys were able to make it out there for that. Oh yeah, we enjoyed ourselves. I was very bummed because I wanted to get Simpsonized, and um, the line was excruciatingly long. And um, you know, we got there really early for, but. 
he hadn't gotten there yet. And then by the time we finally made our way downstairs, the the line was super long. But but we had a blast, man. And, you know, we're going to try and, and cover as many Wizard events as possible just because, you know, just a, as a support of the brand that I've read for, you know, read for so many years and also because it's just a great experience. Oh, thank you so much. So, that's great, guys. Thank you. All right, man. Well, uh, I'm not going to keep it too long, but last but not least, Wizard World Philly this weekend uh, at the Pennsylvania Convention Center. Yep. You can go to wizardworld.com for all the details. It's wizardworld.com, and on the site is a list of all the guests. We have pictures and bios. We have all of our programming that's going on. So it's very easy to come out and check out us check out online and see what's going on. Yep, and they can find you on Facebook. It's uh, facebook.com slash wizardworld and yep. also on Twitter at wizardworld, right? Yep, on Twitter at wizardworld and then also on YouTube at wizardworld. So, you know, lots of different ways to type in wizardworld to get to us. Oh, and of course the app as well, which you can pick up in the iTunes, in the iOS marketplace. Yep, and uh, so that's also the app is called wizardworld. Um, and then also... For people who don't have an iPad, you can actually read it online. So when you go to our site, you go to Wizard World Digital, um, you can literally read it right on your computer at any time. Nice. I didn't even uh, – I that one that one's actually news to me. Now I know what I can read while I'm at work, but I won't yeah. tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I think that's where most people read it. Hey, you never know. Sometimes it's to put that way. That and on the toilet. Perfect places. <laughs> Let me tell you, when, when they canceled, when you guys stopped the printed version, the first thing I heard was exactly that. They're like, man, I got a stack of wizards in the bathroom. What the hell? And, you know, the, that, was, that was the biggest gripe just because, you know, it's like anything else. It's a, it, it's an, it's a nice escape. But, but, again, I think that the, you guys embracing this new medium was an evolution uh, of the business model. And, again, I commend you for it, and you have our support 110%. Great. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it. Have a great night. Thank you. All right. Take care of yourself. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. That was Gareth Seamus from Wizard World. You can get more information for the Philly Comic Con, Chicago, New England, Los Angeles, even Ohio and Canada at wizardworld.com. You can also look for them on Facebook, facebook.com slash wizardworld. And last but not least, you can look for them on Twitter, at Wizard World on Twitter as well. I'm going to take a quick commercial break. When we get back, we are going to wrap up the wrestling segment. We got some movie news. We got announcements to make. Tons of stuff going on. Just want to take a quick moment and thank Garib for coming on, taking the time to give us a little bit of insight into the Wizard product. So appreciate that, Garib. Thanks a lot. Uh, those of you who are telling me that there were some uh, audio issues they were. I, I'm thinking that they were coming from, from Garib's cell phone. Hopefully in post-production, we can fix all that up. But with that said, no excuses. Let's go into a commercial break, and we'll be back right after this. I wonder what's on tonight, even. Tonight at 10 on your local news. I said to Jesus, Jesus, can you say this is the deal of the century, people? I'm telling you. So Jason, uh, what, what, I mean, what, what are we doing tonight? Tumbling with Tumbleweed, Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. BlogTalkRadio.com, Eastern Standard Time. Do you even know, Jason? Jason, are you there? 
All right, and we're back. Let's um, wrap up this wrestling stuff, and I know that um, hopefully when the other parties call in, we can make our announcement. But let's wrap up this wrestling with the Slammiversary pay-per-view, the TNA Tag Team title match with James Storm and Alex Shelley, who was replacing an injured Robert Roode against Doug Williams and Magnus, was actually a solid opener. Uh, You can see that there was definite chemistry issues between Storm and Shelley only because obviously their respective partners were missing in action, but it was great to see a mix of beer money and Motor City machine gun movesets on display. I found the match to be very entertaining. It was a great opener for the pay-per-view, but following up something as exciting as that, you get into this Matt Morgan, Scott Steiner match, which was kind of shitty only because Matt Morgan is the new generation of big wrestler. You know, he's fast, he's agile, he's mobile. Scott Steiner's a little slower, a little more methodical, a little bit more plotting in in terms of just how he, he progresses through a match. And I just felt there was a bad mix of chemistry between these two guys. It's always nice to see Steiner go in and, and break out, you know, a Frankensteiner or something like that, something nostalgic. But... I think that Matt Morgan, after that really shitty feud he came off, he just came off of with Hernandez, to go into this feud with Steiner, who I just feel that Steiner is a great mouthpiece and a great enforcer at this point, and he's just, not to say his wrestling ability is gone, I just think that it's not where it should be. I think that Scott Steiner, just as a mouthpiece for a smaller wrestler, um, I think his, his work with uh, Petey Williams, with Petey Pump, was really good. Just for that reason, he had that, that mouthpiece vibe, that big brother vibe where, you know, a smaller wrestler can learn a lot from Steiner. I think Steiner cuts a really good promo. As much as people give him shit because his promos are crazy and incoherent, I think it adds to the character of a guy who's just nuts and has no problem beating you to death. I think that's a strong, uh, one, of, one of Steiner's strengths other than the fact that he's, you know, he's just a, 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 a jacked human being. I think that putting him in an enforcer role is, is a great role for him. His wrestling should be kept to maybe tag team matches, something like that, where uh, a younger wrestler can, can carry the load of a tag match. I just feel that one-on-one feuds at this point are, I don't know, they're just kind of lacking. And in Steiner's case with a guy like Morgan, it just didn't mesh well. Moving on, the X Division title match with Abyss, Brian Kendrick, and Kazarian was more of a showcase of Abyss beating up on smaller guys, which is unfortunate because Kendrick and Kazarian are both talented individuals who are who work really well in singles matches. But the problem is with Abyss that you can't even book a smaller guy to whoop his ass just because it looks so far-fetched at this point with the way that they've booked Abyss that the only way that they would have secured a victory would have been shenanigans, and they didn't go that route. Abyss actually ended up retaining in this match, and um, I don't even think I said that Matt Morgan retained in the in the match with Steiner, but I was kind of bummed. I think that they should really get the belt off of Abyss and focus on the X Division talent that they have, which at this point their roster is getting a lot of really great additions and can showcase the division well with a couple of great title matches, maybe an Ultimate X match, um, something of that nature to, to give some worth to that division once again. You know, my, my boy Amazing Red and, and Suicide, so, Christopher Daniels, AJ Styles, just so much great talent, and the fact that you have to put Abyss 
to sell this match is just beyond me. I understand that he's involved with the whole Bischoff regime, but it just looked looked really poor and shitty. Samoa Joe and Crimson actually was a surprisingly enjoyable match, only because Crimson is starting to come into his own as a singles competitor, which bums me out for a couple of reasons. Because in in regards to storyline continuity, uh, the you know the Crimson is the brother of Amazing Red. It's a no-brainer that you guys could have done some tag team stuff in TNA with Red and Crimson, make a run at the tag team belts, do something like that, possibly do a feud between them just in terms of just some friendly brotherly competition. But to automatically just erase that storyline and put Crimson as his own character, while it is good because you want to spotlight up-and-coming talent, it eliminates that really easy storyline that you could have done with him and Amazing Red, which... You know, not not even because Red is a friend of the show, but just because in 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 a pure logical sense, that's the easiest storyline you could have gone with. His program with Joe is actually really good, and I don't mind because I get to see Samoa Joe on TV. Samoa Joe's a, a great performer; he's a great wrestler. And what TNA has done with him, from having him abducted by fucking ninjas to just some of the really piss poor writing they've done with him, it's just. It's just sad. So I think putting him in this singles feud with Crimson is good for both of these guys. I just feel that once this feud is is over, what then? You know, Samoa Joe, what's he going to do? Go back into the X Division? If you're going to do something with the X Division and Abyss, make him feud with Samoa Joe and make Samoa Joe take the belt off of him because at least Samoa Joe's a, a big enough guy that it wouldn't look foolish him defeating Abyss. But again, that's... Uh, common sense booking TNA wrestling hell no let's get into the TNA knockout title match with Mickey James and the zombie Angelina Love um, of course Angelina was accompanied by Winter and this match was I wouldn't even group it in, in a passable match because it really did come off terribly on television I don't know if it was because Angelina Love and Mickey James haven't really worked together in singles matches, but it was really, really shitty. And that ending was incredibly botched. Uh, Mickey James went for her jumping DDT, and it just looked so fucked up. But it is what it is. I think that the knockouts division has a lot of talent that's significantly better than the WWE talent, the WWE divas. And, again, TNA is not focusing on those strengths. You know, you cut wrestlers like Hamada, you let go of wrestlers like Awesome Kong, Roxy, wrestlers that have uh, a more diverse moveset. You kind of have to book the knockouts division much like the TNA X division in the sense that just take advantage of all those great personalities and just let them shine through with wrestling and not with stupid storylines and bullshit. I mean, let's look at this. Winter for the past six or seven episodes of Impact, has been drugging Angelina Love on national television. Now, regardless of the fact that it's wrestling, even if you want to add a little bit of realism to it, you're basically keeping this chick drugged, which is a fucking crime. So, especially with their shock TV-style interview segments where you just have a camera in a room, kind of like the old um, uh, GTV uh, on WWE programming back in the 90s. I just don't feel it's effective, especially with characters like this. Just let the wrestling speak for itself. Moving on, AJ Styles and Bully Ray was a last man standing match. And um, 
I'm surprised they gave the victory to Bully Ray, and I felt that this match was going to be a complete bag of shit, I'll be honest. But I was pleasantly surprised. I think Bully Ray has stepped his game up as a heel and as a competitor. He's he's phenomenal as just a bad guy. He cuts really good promos. I just think that he's another guy that feuding with the X Division, being involved with Eric Bischoff right now, has been very good for his character. But once you strip all that away, I really would not like to see him lost in the shuffle. Bully Ray reminds me of when Bradshaw first started being uh, JBL, where it was a transition into a new character and there was a growth period. And then that character, when it finally reached that apex in terms of character growth, was just insane. I think Bully Ray has that potential. He's good on the mic. He has a pretty decent move set. I even think he's lost a little weight. If if I were a betting man, I would either have him go into a feud with a guy like Abyss or maybe a feud with a guy like Samoa Joe that you can have just more physical matches that hide some of Bully Ray's weaknesses but, you know, emphasize his strengths. And, of course, our TNA world title match with Sting and Mr. Anderson was exactly what you'd expect, a typical formulaic Sting match, which was, you know, punch, kick, punch, scorpion death drop, scorpion death lock, but that's not the way it was going to go. Mr. Anderson did beat Sting and is your new TNA world champion, which I'm actually very happy for. I think that taking the belt off of Sting was the best thing they could have done because if you really want to take this company in a new direction and focus on young talent, then your belt should be on talent that fits that mold. I think Mr. Anderson as champion works, especially with the Spike TV demographic and him booking himself as an asshole I think that's a, a, a really great way to build your brand around this character. I would have also taken a guy like Kurt Angle, who's going to be his next opponent. These are guys you build your brand around. Even Kurt Angle, who's an established star and a little older, he, he's a guy that can go out there and have consistently great matches. The beauty of a guy like Anderson is that the shit-talking helps sell the match. His wrestling ability has been questioned by various people. I actually think his wrestling ability is good. He has a really great moveset with a, a combination of just brawling and a little bit of cruiserweight in there, especially when he does the swanton bomb. He does it very fluid. And when he does the Green Bay plunge as well, just all great moves. And I think that having him as champion is, is again, a step in the right direction. Your TNA world title number one contenders match with Kurt Angle and Jeff Jarrett. You know, I spoiled it in my, in my last discussion, but Kurt Angle did win. And I think they finally closed out this feud and I am fucking glad I'm tired of Jeff Jarrett. I'm tired of Kurt Angle's wife. The storyline has run its course. Move the fuck on. That's going to wrap that up, folks. We're going to just um, go into Monday Night Raw. And I'm not going to go and recap the whole thing. I will tell you, though, a couple of things I wanted to point out. Um, R-Truth, and this is what I wanted to talk about, R-Truth as a heel has grown on me sub substantially only because his his erratic and psychotic behavior works for his character. My only gripe with R-Truth is that if you want R-Truth to be taken seriously at this point, you really have to, you know, cut the dreadlocks, dress him a little differently, refresh his character. I think him coming out with his fucking South Pole jeans and Lugs boots and terrible button-down shirts that he probably bought at a, at a store on Jamaica Avenue here in New York City are just not the way to go. Or for guys like Bronx on Southern Boulevard, you know, the cheesy button-down shirts that they hang outside of the discount stores for 10 bucks. I think R-Truth's character is at a point 
where he can be portrayed differently. I think if you're going to go this direction with his character, you should emphasize changing him up a bit. I mean, when when the Miz finally came full circle, he stopped wearing the du- the douchey hats and the chick magnet short, the chick magnet shorts and the bedazzled shorts. It, all of that shit disappeared, and I think that's what you need to do with r truth so that he can fully come full circle as a heel. I think his little Jimmy promos are really well done. I like his interactions with the fans, especially with feuding with a guy like John Cena, who's so for the fans at this point. R-Truth really shines, but coming out with the fucking, with the South Pole jeans and the, and the cheesy outfits is, is just a, a step in the wrong direction. I do like what they've done with him, though, and I will go on record as saying that, and I think he's actually one of the, the stronger heels on Raw right now. I think, you know, him, Alberto Del Rio, and The Miz right now are your three best heels going on the brand. Um and I, how can I fucking forget? And I should really slap myself. But CM Punk as well. CM Punk is phenomenal. Um, of course, this particular Raw was a three-hour Raw called the All Star Raw. A couple of things I wanted to just touch on besides our truth um, were the Divas. The Divas division. They did a really, really huge match with the Divas with Tamina, Alicia Fox, Rosa Mendez, Maurice, the Bella Twins, and Melina against Kelly Kelly, Eve Torres, Gail Kim, Natalia, Beth Phoenix, AJ Lee, and Caitlin. And I can tell you that that match was a disaster. Not only that, but some of those divas really need to get their fundamentals in check. And that's not even me playing armchair quarterback, shitting on their abilities. It's just that when you're doing live television and your wrestling isn't, you know, super tight, a lot of your flaws come out, and definitely a lot of them did come out in the Divas match. So I did want to say that. And, of course, the main event with Cena and CM Punk was good only because, again, R-Truth's involvement in the match was, was again, well-timed and perfect. CM Punk, as always, was solid in his match. And going into the pay-per-view, this actually makes R-Truth look strong going in. And the last thing I wanted to mention was the Miz and Roddy Piper and Alex Riley's exchange was really, um, I felt it was really well done only because Roddy Piper, when he, when he's on fire, he's on fire. When he cuts a good promo, he cuts a good promo. And in this particular Piper's pit, he was a little bit more of the whimsical, uh, funny Piper versus the typical badass Piper that'll crack a guy over the head with a coconut. I think it worked well in, in talking to the Miz just because the Miz's character is, I almost want to say it's a, it's a carbon copy of Chris Jericho's suit-wearing douchebag character, and I, I'm really interested in seeing what happens when Chris Jericho does come back, because he will, folks. Just he, th- Those guys just can't walk away. What are you going to do with a guy like Chris Jericho who has that gimmick down pat, come in and deal with somebody like the Miz? because it's a no-brainer that that's a feud that needs to happen. And the Silver reminded me of something as well that I almost forgot, and it was the exchange between CM Punk and Stone Cold Steve Austin, who had a lot of great moments in the broadcast. CM Punk and and Stone Cold was really well done, and it was funny because CM Punk has been uh, very vocal about that on Twitter, just because him and Stone Cold have exchanged a couple of jabs back and forth on Twitter. I really feel that these guys have great, great chemistry, and 
I, one particular thing I liked was them touching on the the whole what scenario that Stone Cold started, and CM Punk was making fun of that and said he's like annoying, isn't it? And Stone Cold Steve Austin is like, yeah, it is. It's really good that they actually acknowledge that because that's something that Stone Cold started and it just never went away. I I feel fortunate in seeing Stone Cold on TV healthy and being able to work with some of these younger guys because one thing that Stone Cold does that fucking scumbags like Hogan don't do is that they make sure that in working with these younger guys, they acknowledge their strengths. One of the great things when he came out and had his opening promo with The Miz was exactly that. He was like, you know, you're a, you're a silver-tongued devil with your mohawk. And, and he, you know, he talked about all The Miz's positive aspects all while shitting on him, which is, a, which is how true veterans should conduct themselves in my eyes. I think that, you know, guys like Hogan, they come in and they put themselves first and they don't focus on building this younger talent. And that's a big gripe with Hogan. And I felt that Stone Cold Steve Austin was the complete opposite, and he really helped guys like The Miz and CM Punk get even more over with the fans. And I got to applaud him for that. I think Stone Cold did a a great job with Raw. And next week it's going to be another three-hour Raw with viewer's choice. And I think it's going to be enjoyable. One thing I do want to mention is that They've been doing a lot of shit with The Rock and John Cena on Twitter and little verbal jabs back and forth, which they're great. But again, this is showing the the flaw in this feud. You have to keep a feud going for an entire year. And going back and forth with these little bullshit ass, oh, the Rock is a the Rock is at Disney World, and he takes a picture with Goofy, and he's like, look, I took a picture with John Cena. That's some real grade school level bullshit. I think that if you want to do a feud like that, why don't you have John Cena show up on set of the Rock's movie and beat his ass on set, or why don't you go back to the old days? I think one of the best feuds was when the Rock and Austin were feuding, and Stone Cold Steve Austin told the Rock. Wherever you see that 316, an ass whooping is coming. And they did a really great segment where The Rock was walking through JFK Airport. And The Rock, of course, had a beeper at that moment. And the beeper went off and it said 316. And he's like, ah, it's Stone Cold being Stone Cold. He's full of shit. And Stone Cold Steve Austin actually came out of the luggage area and proceeded to beat The Rock's ass at JFK Airport. That's the kind of stuff that will help feuds, feuds like that go on a little bit longer. Take it into the real world. Do stuff like that instead of just you know, little side comments on Twitter and little pictures on Facebook. It it almost feels like a feud between two kids in high school versus a wrestling feud between two grown men. You got to do stuff like that. Why not have The Rock show up someplace that John Cena is doing like a signing and clown him on the line? Or uh, to to quote um, Mudkips in the chat room, Booker T versus Stone Cold in the supermarket was epic. My favorite line in there was, Price check on Jackass when he um, slapped Booker T with a loaf of bread and ran him over the scanning machine. Those are things that, while they seem a little hokey, they add a little bit more of that real-world element into a feud. And I remember just Booker T, like, they just wrecked an entire supermarket. Um, That's what you need to do to get these feuds over. Um, Bronx and a couple of other wrestling fans have said the same thing. Uh, how they're gonna, how are they gonna keep the interest in this feud going for an entire year is beyond me. I don't, I don't think that the strategy they have in place is working the way it should. I'm hearing rumors that The Rock might pop in for SummerSlam and do something with John Cena for SummerSlam. But again, once you do SummerSlam, what happens next? You know, there's that, 
there's that lull between pay-per-views where unless The Rock is on TV consistently, it's not really going to do the feud any favors. And that's another thing as well. One of the big things that John Cena harped on is The Rock not showing up on Raw. If The Rock is so devoted to the WWE Universe, why isn't he here? Why does The Rock bring it via satellite? And while it is part of the feud, it's 100% accurate. If you want to make this feud work, there needs to be more real-world interactions. Twitter beefs and Facebook beefs are, are, are stupid. That's some high school musical gossip girl type shit that really shows WWE soap opera writers hard at work. All right. That's going to wrap up the, the little bit of a rant I had for Monday Night Raw. Let me just get into some of the other stuff. And it, I actually wanted to reference two things. WWE put out a list of their top 25 managers this year. They did a, a previous list in 2009. And um, I just want to go down the list because a couple you guys are going to probably have your own issues with the top 25 managers, but I'm going to read them in, in reverse order. Number 25 was the genius. This was his first time on the list. 24 was Marlena. 23 was Michael Hayes. 22 was Armando Estrada. 21 was Teddy Long. 20 was Oliver Humperdinck. 19 was Stephanie McMahon. 18 was Harvey Whippleman. 17 was the Million Dollar Man. 16 was Slick. 15 was Vicky Guerrero. 14 was Paul Ellering. 13 was Miss Elizabeth. 12 was Paul Heyman. 11 was Sonny. 10 was Mr. Fuji. Uh, 9 was Jim Cornette. 8 was Arnold Skolin, which was pretty cool. Paul Bearer was number seven. Grand Wizard was six. Sensational Sherry was five. Captain Lou Albano was four. Freddie Blassie was three. Jimmy Hart was two. And Bobby Heenan was number one. Now, a couple of things I want to reference is that there were a lot of people that were on the 2009 list that didn't make the new list this year. Some of those people were Frenchie Martin, Gary Hart, Jason, Johnny Valiant, Bill Alfonso, James Dudley, and J.J. Dillon. Now, WWE tends to skew these lists, and number one, Paul Heyman should have been a lot higher than 12. Number two, Miss Elizabeth should have been a lot fucking higher, because Miss Elizabeth and Randy Savage was a staple. If you're going to have Sensational Sherry at number five, you should have at least had Miss Elizabeth at number six, um, Paul Bearer should have been, well, number seven is fine, but some of these were just really odd placements. You know, the genius placing at number 25, I can almost feel like that's a, an olive branch given the whole Randy Savage debacle, but not having J.J. Dillon on there, you can't think of the four horsemen without thinking of J.J. Dillon leading those guys in. I mean, Ric Flair as a wrestler was was key to the four horsemen, but so was J.J. Dillon and Bill Alfonso. Bill Alfonso was one of the best managers in ECW, managing guys like Taz, Rob Van Dam, and Sabu. And the fact that you write that guy off and you throw in, not to say that Vicky Guerrero shouldn't be on the list, but she should at least be 25. To put her in there at 15 and not put Bill Alfonso is absurd. It really is some sad shit. And, you know, these WWE lists, they, they bug me for reasons like that because you're always going to have people that should have been on the list that weren't, et cetera, et cetera. But I just felt that, you know, guys like Bill Alfonso and J.J. Dillon should have been on that list. And um, Vicky Guerrero being in there at number 15, 25, yes. 
Marlena with her work with Goldust, okay, but she didn't do anything else but manage Goldust in my eyes. Teddy Long was there, but not for nothing. What about the Colonel who used to manage Harlem Heat before um, with Sensation of Sherry at one point? Why wasn't the Colonel in there? Uh, and to go to what um, Mudkips is saying, Mudkips states in the chat that WWE doesn't care about WCW or ECW, and he says that, you know, when are we going to learn this? And, and it's, you know, I, I have to give that credit, and it is true. But you know what? If you're going to have a guy in there like Teddy Long, who was in WCW, or you're going to have a guy in there like Paul Heyman from ECW, Paul Heyman did manage a couple of guys. He managed Brock Lesnar. He managed the ECW faction. But how are you going to have Paul Heyman in there and not Bill Alfonso? Period. I, you know, I understand what, what, you know, what Mudkips is saying with WCW and ECW not being an afterthought for WWE, but just in regards to just plain research, regardless of the fact of whether you like the fucking guy or you hated the guy or Vince McMahon couldn't stand dealing with the guy, you gotta, you gotta keep shit real. And guys like Bill Alfonso, J.J. Dillon, it, it's, it's absurd. It really is crazy that J.J. Dillon who's legendary with the four horsemen isn't in there yet Vicky Guerrero's in there and Stephanie McMahon is in there. Nobody cares about Stephanie McMahon managing anybody on the contrary. What? Cause she was Vince's daughter. Get the fuck out of here with that man. Look at a guy like the grand wizard, Arnold Skolin, who, who managed Bob Backlund, Mr. Fuji. Those guys deserve to be on that list. Vicky Guerrero. No, Armando Estrada, he only managed Umaga. So how is he on this top 25 managers list if he only managed Umaga? It's ridiculous. It's fucking insane. Last but not least, I want to just acknowledge two other things um, before we proceed to make our announcement. Number one is Ring of Honor is actually going to be having a show here in New York June 26th. I really wish I could have seen it for... Uh, you know, as an early birthday present, I still may, but the problem is that it ends up becoming work as opposed to becoming something I'd enjoy. Um, but nonetheless, if you're in New York and you want to check out some real wrestling, uh, do yourselves a favor, check out Ring of Honor. They're going to be, um, I believe, at the Hammerstein Ballroom, if I'm correct. You can go to Ring of Honor Wrestling and get the details for yourself, but they got some really great matches on there. Homicide and Rhino are going to be fighting on that match. The Ring of Honor world title match between former tag team partners Eddie Edwards and Davey Richards screams four-star match. The TV title match with Christopher Daniels and El Generico, again, 100% sick. Tag team title match with Charlie Haas, Shelton Benjamin, the Kings of Wrestling, the Briscoes, and the All Night Express is going to be a, a true tag team clinic. Jay Lethal is also going to be on the card wrestling against Mike Bennett. Steve Carino and Jimmy, and Jimmy Jacobs are going to be wrestling Michael Elgin. And, of course, the street fight with Homicide and Rhino. Homicide has been all over the place between Ring of Honor and um, the Urban Wrestling Federation. He's all over the place. I'm a huge Homicide fan, so it's really going to suck that I may not get to check this out. But who knows? Maybe you'll look in the Facebook fan page and see a uh, My Take Radio photo gallery. But we shall see what happens. Last but not least, Destination X will be the next pay-per-view um, from TNA, and it's going to be the return of the six-sided ring for the X Division, and one of the matches already announced is AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, and Christopher Daniels, which guarantees that at least a decent amount of people will order. 
So definitely want to commend them for that. I'm curious as to them bringing back the um, six-sided ring, if they're going to proceed with keeping that around, because that really did set them apart. And um, I'm actually going to miss that aspect if they really only do it as a one-time thing. The six-sided ring I liked only because it added a level of originality. Um, I know that I see Brian in there saying that, you know, he hates the six-sided ring, but the funny thing is the six-sided ring, I understand that he hates it. And, and there's some people that did, and I know that certain wrestlers hated it, but it really helped set them apart. In the watching TNA right now, I feel like I'm watching a, an old WCW Thunder only because of the big ramp and all that shit. I honestly feel that the six-sided ring was good. It added a little bit of that uh, Lucha Libre style, and it just really allowed the X Division guys to work better for some reason. Again, this is just me. We can probably pull a lot of people in the chat room or even on our Facebook fan page, and you can probably see, which you know what, I actually may put that poll up on the Facebook fan page and see how many people really prefer the six-sided ring versus the four-sided ring. I am curious. So, you know, be on the lookout for that on the fan page in a couple of days. And to close out the wrestling segment, Randy Orton did legitimately suffer a concussion in Spain on Sunday. So that was why they went with the storyline on Raw this week with Randy Orton uh, not being able to compete due to the concussion. So that is legit. And, you know, I'm very concerned only because he has this concussion. He ended up getting it Sunday and he's supposed to be wrestling this Sunday. I'm always very uh, skeptical of, um, you know, people wrestling with injuries like that because concussions are, are very dangerous, especially nowadays when um, so many athletes' careers are cut short due to concussions, and so many studies are out there just showing the level of brain damage that's done. Um, I think... You know, hopefully he'll have a good match with Christian. I, I have a feeling that they'll probably do a run-in, maybe a DQ, something of that, just to protect Randy Orton until his concussion is healed up. Uh, will they put the belt on Christian is something that, that definitely has piqued my interest. I highly doubt it, but you never know, man. I think that Christian is at a stage where they should have really left the belt on him so he can do a run as a face. I mean, if you want to make him your number one heel on SmackDown, that's fine. But I just felt that the way they handled it was a little poorly, and it made him look weak. But, um, again, Randy Orton has a concussion, and he is going to go into the event as such. So if you notice any kind of weird run-ins, DQs, refs getting dragged out, blah, 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 it's probably going to be because he has that concussion. So that's going to wrap up the wrestling segment. I'm going to take a quick commercial break, and when I come back, I am going to share an announcement with you guys. So, um, hopefully, this switchboard will not freeze up, which it has done a few times, and I'll make sure to email Blog Talk Radio. So, uh, let's see if this shit decides to run, because guess what? It's not working the way I wanted to for some reason, but uh, what can you do? All right, you know what? This fucking switchboard is being a complete pain in my ass. Actually, you know what? Of course, I find the commercial, so let's go to it. 
following advertisement is for BarnstubbornRadio.com. Barnstubborn Radio. We like news, we like current events, but we like the fucked up news and the fucked up current events. The Barnstubborn Radio, we talk about everything in entertainment. We talk about movies. We talk about music. Mostly heavy stuff. Have good mosh pitting! And because we're big fucking nerds, we talk about video games. What? We're big fucking nerds. We love video games. Fuck shape, man! Rich loves the show. Yeah. Hey, Rich, you like the show, don't you? Yeah, man. Are you sure you like the show? <laughs> yeah, man. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop the music. Isn't Born Southern Radio one of your favorite podcasts? Yeah, man. Awesome. Okay, hold on a second. But I was just curious. I'm thinking about coming to New York. Awesome. You live in New York, right? Yeah. You think maybe I could uh, crash on your couch? Uh, in the predominantly Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shits. Um, Rich, I love you, but I don't know what the fuck you just said. In the Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shits. Exactly. Okay, I, I don't know what Rich is thinking, but BornStepInRadio.com is where you should be going right now. All right, and we're back. Um, we are, well, I'm actually going to bring in somebody to help me make this announcement. Um, I'm bringing on Big Boss from Unveil NYC, uh, known in the real world as, as Stephen from Unveil, and um, he's actually going to be joining me for this announcement because uh, it's, it's going to be big. So let's bring him in. Steve, what's going on, dude? Let's see, is he live? Is he not live? I know I'm live. See, this 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 switchboard is, is such bullshit. Steve, are you there? Hello. Hey man, what's going on? Hey man, what's going on? All right. So um of course you are here to help me announce what's going to be collectively known as Unveil and MTR's big announcement. So for those of you just tuning in, uh, Steve was actually a guest a couple of weeks back when we did a spotlight on competitive gamers. Um, I actually have to give credit to De Silva for kind of throwing that out there about how our respective brands would do really well working together. Uh, Stephen and I decided to have a sit-down and iron some things out, and I am pleased to announce that MyTake Radio will be partnering with Unveil NYC, not only for event coverage, but also just across the board in terms of talent exchange with the site, music, merchandising, and events for the foreseeable future. Uh, Stephen, just let everybody know a little bit about Unveil, and um, we'll be able to go into the details a little bit with the audience together. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, I mean, introducing this, the partnership between uh, MTR and Unveil is kind of exciting. Uh, can you hear me okay there, Rich? Yep, I hear you crystal clear. All right, great. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Unveil NYC is a production company at uh, NYC, and uh, we we sponsor video gamers, and we sponsor musicians as well as artists and we also everything that we do is basically geared towards the, the community and everybody that comes out of 
NYC and everybody respectively in the country that respects all the communities that we use. Uh, now, everything that we're trying to do with MTR, we're trying to, you know, make everything under one kind of umbrella as we talk about and trying to make everything uh, unique for all our fans out there. I think that um, one of the things that we're going to be trying to give you guys um, the Unveil audience as well as the MTR audience is just a uh, just one one medium to have access to things going on in gaming, technology, movies, uh, all of our interviews. Nothing with MTR is going to change. On the contrary, we're going to get better, and Unveil is going to get a little bit of, of MTR influence as well with, with us working with Unveil in terms of event coverage, merchandise. We're going to start seeing a lot of really great stuff. And one thing I did want to share with you guys is that we're actually doing our first joint event uh, tomorrow. For those of you that are local here in New York City, we're going to be at the Dave & Buster's in Times Square. We're going to actually have a sit-down to hash out our, our future partnership. But not only that, we're going to take the opportunity and you know meet each other's uh, staff and also just interact with our fans. So if you're a New York resident, you want to stop through Dave & Buster's on 42nd Street and um, – We'll be able to just tell you guys all the exciting ventures we have planned, whether it's merchandise, whether it's events, um, musical talent, and stuff you'll see on MTR. Uh, you're going to start seeing some stuff gradually. We're going to try and have guys from Unveil right right on the site. Uh, maybe even Steven himself may get in there and uh, throw, throw some words on the screen, letting people know things going on in the competitive gaming world just because that's one of the strengths that he has. And in addition to that, just... I feel that it's a great partnership allowing us to reach a, a huge audience and just have everybody come to MTR and Unveil to get the best of all of their interests under one roof. Yeah, I definitely agree with you, Rich. I mean, it's definitely definitely exciting for everybody here at Unveil. We're, we're definitely geared towards this idea, and we definitely want to support the fans of MTR as well as the fans of Unveil, and, and we definitely want to grow on the other communities and all the other fans out there. Absolutely. So, you know, with that said, we are we will be releasing a, a press release on MyTakeRadio.com shortly after the show is over, just outlining uh, some of the stuff we've discussed and just announcing it formally to our respective audiences. So you'll be seeing that press release on the Facebook fan page, I'm sure, uh, you'll take it and, and throw it up on, you know, Unveil's Facebook fan page as well. And like I said, you can stop through a Dave & Buster's tomorrow, meet us, meet the Unveil team, meet some of the members of MTR, and we look forward to giving you guys the best in entertainment, whether it's music, whether it's clothing, MMA, tech, video games, movies. We're, we're going to change the game, and, you know, the future of MTR is unveiled now. I I definitely agree with you, Richard. I mean, it, it, for something that is is that we planned out and we we definitely sat together and we spoke about this. I mean, it's something that we really we're interested in doing in in the long run, and and we really want to you know show the community that we can really respond well to to everything that we can uh, we can possibly give them. Oh, absolutely, man. So with that said, um, you know, I definitely look forward to a. Uh, a great partnership for us doing great things for both of our fan bases together on a united front. And I will definitely see you tomorrow and we will start this grand project of effective. 
I guess now at one o'clock in the morning we are officially partners. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We're partners at, officially at one o'clock tonight. Yeah, I yeah I definitely hope everybody comes out tomorrow to hang out with uh, with MCR and Bell, and we can definitely get get a little more close of an understanding of what we're trying to do. You got it, man. All right, dude. I will see you tomorrow. All right, sounds great, Rich. Thank you for having me on. All right, brother. Take care. Yourself. All right. Bye bye. All right, guys, for those of you just tuning in, I've just announced MTR and Unveil have become, well, have formed a partnership. We are now going to be united in giving you guys the best of all of MTR's offerings, plus uh, more video game content, more pro game content, music. We're going to have a huge influx of, of just great merchandise that we've already been discussing. And um, I think that it's, it's going to benefit all you guys, the listening audience, and I look, I look forward to just giving you guys that medium with the power of Unveil behind us, and we look forward to uh, giving the team at Unveil a little bit of, of MTR's juice, so to speak. So very excited for this partnership. I'm very excited to share it with you guys. And um, last but not least, I think that besides the press release and – you know, the meet and greet tomorrow, you're going to be seeing a lot more stuff a lot sooner than just that. And I know that for a fact. So be on the lookout. You can follow Unveil NYC on Facebook. I will make sure to post their fan page on our fan page. But if you want to get the inside scoop on what Unveil is all about, you can actually find their fan page on our favorites. We have a favorites tab in the left-hand side of the screen on our Facebook fan page showing all the favorite sites that we have and all the favorite brands that we have. So you can find them in there as well. Look them up. Let them know that, you know, you support our endeavor. And you can also follow Unveil on Twitter. It's Unveil NYC. And um, that's it, guys. We're, 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 you know, I'm not here to talk shit and say that we're, that, you know, we plan on doing this. We plan on doing that. No, fuck that. We plan on coming in here and changing the game. We've changed the game already. We're just giving you guys four different amounts of content for three hours every Thursday. But you know what? That's not enough. You know, between MTR behind the mic, MTR beyond the mic, the minority film report, all the other stuff we're going to give you guys, it's only the tip of the iceberg. And I'm just really pumped for this partnership. I'm not even, uh, I'm not even fucking around and saying that, that it's going to be something that's going to be just good for MTR, it's going to be good for everybody, and I think both of our, you know, different fan bases will definitely enjoy each other's company. I think there's a lot of, of room for, uh, I, I guess, fan exchange, so to speak. So be on the lookout for more exciting stuff from MTR and Unveil. Let's go into um, the video game segment, and before I actually go into it, I saw that De Silva said, uh, of course, De Silva always throws something out there. MTR Game Nights, and um, I see Bronx uh, mentioning it as well. I, I'm telling you guys right now, that, and, you know, not even going into the game segment, I'm going to mention that. I see, you know, Bronx is in there mentioning it. I see De Silva mentioning it. And I'm going to be 100% frank with you guys. You guys want a lot of stuff. And it's great, and we try to give that to you, but – a real talk we give you shit you fucking guys don't use it period people bitched about a forum 
wait, wait, you guys need a forum. Give you a forum. Should have been in there. You're not. We do, you know, more stuff, more content for the app, stuff like that. We try to give you guys that stuff. You guys want game nights? We'll give them to you. But guess what? When we make that announcement for game night, we have almost 1,100 fans on Facebook, 1,100. If we make a game night announcement and I don't see at least 100 people wanting to get involved, then don't be surprised if I come on the air and tell you guys how full of shit you are. And that's just me being raw and real with the listeners. Because you guys demand a lot from us. We strive to give it to you. But if you guys don't take advantage of the mediums presented, then don't fucking complain. Period. You guys want game nights? We're going to give them to you. And when we do give them to you, I expect a turnout. Seriously. That's it. I, I, that's, a, that's just me. And, and, and I don't want the audience to think I'm attacking them or I don't want the listeners to think that I'm, you know, turning against them and shit. But, you know, it's, it's the, the same thing. It's, we, we have two apps out. There are people that quote-unquote listen, then they complain when they don't have access to the show. We got two apps available, iOS and Android. You get access to all the shows, all the exclusive content. Anybody that complains about exclusive content not being available in other mediums, take $2 out of your goddamn pocket and buy the fucking app, period. You, you know, it, it's, it's, it's shitty to say, but, and I hate having to come in here. I haven't done it in a while, but sometimes I got to come in here and, 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 and beat you guys up a little bit. Not all of you, but just some of you that, that, that sit behind a, a keyboard and bitch about 20,000 things, but don't do a fucking thing about it. You guys want to be part of it. You guys want to benefit from MTR. Be a part of it. It's that simple. All right. Let's get into these video games because I could spend 20 minutes just raging about bullshit and it's not going to benefit any of us. So let's get into some video games. Let's get into some video games. First off, we got some Soul Calibur news. Uh, Soul Calibur 5, of course, was announced at E3. And Namco has gone on record saying that you're going to get between 20 and 30 characters. But here's the fun part. Half of the roster is going to be all new characters. The, well, the only new character that's been announced so far is Patroclus. Um, I don't mind new characters. I have no issue with that. But there's already been discussions about Soul Calibur taking a more simplified approach, a, a, a more approachable move set as opposed to the button mashing that we all know and going that route changing the gameplay and doing completely new characters i really hope that they keep some of the mainstays in there like mitsurugi um taki nightmare of course is going to be in there one of my favorites was cervantes which was one of my favorite characters especially as you got better with him he just had such a great move set I have no problem with new characters. I just hope that they have good storylines and it's not, you know, PS3 exclusive such and such and Xbox 360 exclusive such and such and, you know, Wii U exclusive such and such. Take the opportunity to, to build new characters and put some story behind them. Don't give me fluff characters. Don't tell me, oh, we're going to put fucking Kratos in there and we're going to put in Link and we're going to put in Devil Kazuya and blah, blah, blah. Just don't do that. If you're going to invest the time and, and I'm really putting it out there for Namco and creating 20 to 30 new characters, well, at least half of those characters being new, then, then please give us, give us characters that people can actually give a shit about and not guys like Necrid 
from the other from from the other freaking Soul Caliber game. Let's not have that. I wanted to share some news with you guys, which which is weird, but you, you'd be surprised where you get news from. I was in Best Buy earlier this week, and I actually got two bits, two pieces of news to share with you guys that I actually saw in Best Buy. The number one, the the first piece of news has to do with Arkham Asylum, which if you pre-order at Best Buy, you'll actually be able to play as Robin. Uh, Robin is going to be available in two challenge maps for the PS3, PC, and 360. So Warner Brothers hasn't released official word on it, but I actually saw the flyer in Best Buy. So I think that that's going to be uh, Arkham. Thanks for that, Slick. I, I keep calling it Arkham Asylum. I'm so used to it. It's Arkham City. I apologize for that. But again, if you pre-order at Best Buy, you'll be able to use Robin. And, you know, this goes back to what they did with the Joker, allowing the Joker to be in the challenge maps for the PS3. I, I think that adding Robin into the mix, it, you can already play as Catwoman in this new one. It was, it was almost a no-brainer that you were going to see Robin pop up in some shape or form. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm surprised that they didn't even go with Nightwing and throw Nightwing in there, just because I think that Nightwing's moveset would be interesting to see as well, because you can do a mix of Batman and Robin's moveset. But who knows? The, who knows if, you know, maybe Nightwing will be a pre-order if you buy the game through Amazon. We'll see what happens in the months leading up to the release of Arkham City, but I figured you guys would like that. I got some MPD numbers for you guys. Of course, I don't have legit numbers for some of the titles, but I can give you some console numbers. Um, of course, on the console side of things, the Xbox 360 sold 270,000 units, making it the best-selling console for the month of May again. Sales were a 39% increase year-to-year growth, and it's also the 17th month of year-over-year hardware increases for Xbox, so Microsoft seems to be doing something right, obviously. Um, Game sales, though, are down 13% from last year, and there has been a drop overall in hardware sales of 5%, and software sales are down 19%. But I want to get into the top 10 MPD titles just because there's a couple of titles in there that, you know, you got to raise an eyebrow at. Obviously, I'm going to start with number 10, which is Lego Star Wars 3, The Clone Wars. Just Dance 2 for the Wii is number 9. NBA 2K11 is 8. Zumba Fitness for the Wii 360 and PS3 is number 7. Call of Duty Black Ops is number 6. Mortal Kombat is number 5. I'm sure Bronx is very happy at hearing that. Portal 2, which how long has that game been out, is number four. Lego Pirates of the Caribbean is number three. Brink, which I'm surprised made it into the number two slot. I would have expected that game to place lower. And L.A. Noir is your number one best-selling title. So for the month of May, L.A. Noir held the, held the number one spot, which is fine. I think L.A. Noir is a solid game. Um, it's a game that I've been on the fence about playing. I've been hearing mixed reviews, but... Um, I'm definitely uh, looking to get it, looking to get into it, just because it looks like a very interesting game. It's just not a game that I feel paces well with with games that I've played in the last couple of weeks. I mean, I've been playing, which you know, I'm not a, I'm not caught up like everybody playing some of the new shit. But I'm trying to wrap up Dante's Inferno. I still got to play some Splatterhouse. I got to jump back into Mortal Kombat. I got way too many games and not enough time. But I, I'll get in there for sure and hit La Noire at some point. So be on the lookout for that. I know that Slick is playing Infamous 2, 
and I'm sure he'll have a review for that shortly because he's telling me that it's a kick-ass game, and I played the demo, and I definitely am going to have to agree and need to pick that up soon as well so I can play it. I got to finish Infamous 1, though, because that's another game I started, I put down, and I kind of got to finish. In some Dead Rising news, check this out. They're going to be releasing Dead Rising 2 off the record, which is going to have Frank West. So basically, you're playing Dead Rising 2, but with Frank West as opposed to uh, Chuck, which I'm sure a lot of people are going to bitch about this. You're going to, a Eurogamer actually dropped the news that the game is going to be $40, and they just want to try and bring the fans back into the game with new environments, weapons, combo weapons, new clothing, food items, vehicles, new bosses, and a new story. They feel that it's going to be a bigger game than Dead Rising 2 was, and you'll be able to pick that up later on this year. I think... Um, I think the Dead Rising boat has kind of sailed already. I think people are, are, are done with the Dead Rising franchise only because I, I really heard that there was such a, a huge, um, I guess a, a huge division between whether the game was really good or really bad. Uh, some people I spoke to said that there were elements of the game that they thought were utter shit. They hated the fact of having to carry the kid around and find medicine, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I mean, I played Dead Rising 1. I enjoyed it. I played the demo of two and found it to be kind of, you know, kind of, uh, I guess one dimensional is what I want to say, just because it's like, put the kid somewhere, kill zombies, get medicine, give the kid medicine, run to the next building, put the kid down, get more medicine, kill more zombies, wash, rinse, and repeat. I thought that that was uh, a little fucking boring. Now, last week, we talked a lot about E3. I also talked a lot about E3 with philosophy from Community Voice podcast on the uh, behind on the newest behind the mic, but here's something that's that's insane, and that is Nintendo is is going to just continue the trend of not letting you watch movies on their consoles, you know, unless you're streaming them, of course. Nintendo announced during an investor Q and A that the Wii U does not have DVD or Blu-ray playback capabilities. The reason given is that enough people already have these devices that are capable of playing DVDs and Blu-ray. But they made sure to take the opportunity to tout the Wii U's social media functions. Iwata said the following, We are no longer in a period where we cannot have any connection at all with social networking sites. We're looking at ways that will convey to this audience which games are fun and ideally in a way that will enable people who are playing those games with others to share that information socially. Iwata, of course, did not elaborate on how social media will be used. Now, here's a, a, a funny thing with regards to that. You don't want your console to play DVDs or Blu-rays, and you want to use proprietary media. Now, let's look at families that only buy Nintendo consoles because they feel that they're safe for their children. And I actually know a couple of families that did that. Why would you eliminate the ability to, for, for a kid to have a device that does everything? Why, why not? Especially because of the functionality where you can play the game without requiring a TV. Imagine a kid that's playing a game or watching a movie, and his mom comes in and says, hey, little Jimmy, I need to watch the news, and the kid is watching Cars for the 85,000th time and decides, hey, I'm going to watch this on my Wii U remote now. So the kid can still enjoy the movie, and why not embrace that particular aspect of the technology and add that functionality in there? It's a fucking laser. 
You know, a laser that reads Blu-rays with a drive or a laser that only reads DVDs. Why limit yourselves? Not only that, but if you want to use proprietary media, great, but allow that option. Give your customers that fucking choice. I feel that it's stupid that they would do that. Yeah, we're going to make proprietary discs. What are you going to do? Take a Blu-ray and stick it inside a cartridge and then slide the cartridge into the fucking machine? It's stupid. All these devices are, you know, multi-purpose. You can stream. You can watch movies. You know how many people I know that use their PS3 exclusively as not only their console, but also their Blu-ray and DVD player? A significantly large number. I know a lot of people that use the Xbox 360 the same way that have it in their living room. And they say, I'm not going to buy a Blu-ray player or a DVD player because the console does that shit. Why would Nintendo want to limit themselves, especially when, like I said, you have that, that, that capability of enjoying a game or a movie on the tablet controller? I think that would be great for kids, man, and I think they really lost the boat. Now, here's, here's something that I, I kind of, I'm going to put it in the rumor pile because Kotaku reported it, and I figured I'd share it with you guys. Uh, Crytek UK, who developed Time Splitters, has reportedly said that they are already working on the next system from Microsoft, and that it's going to be revealed at next year's E3. They went on to say that a new Time Splitters title is being developed to launch with the next generation consoles. Now, of course, you're going to start hearing people saying, oh, it's going to be Xbox 720. I, I do feel that probably Microsoft and Sony not so much only because they're only now starting to gain a lot of leverage with their console. I do think that Microsoft may come out of the gate at E3 next year and announce a new console only because they've seen what Nintendo's working with and they know that the PS3 is probably going to have one more year before Sony decides to drop new hardware. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see that from Microsoft only because at this point, the PS3, from a hardware standpoint, is a substantially more powerful system, especially with Blu-ray capability. I do feel that Microsoft, at this stage of the game with their next console, should embrace Blu-ray because it will allow their games to be just as, graphically, just as graphically intensive as the PS3 offerings. So it should be interesting. Again, take this rumor with a grain of salt right now just because, you know, there's always a lot of misinformation out there, but... Hey, you never know. And lastly, to round out the video game segment, Activision has announced the Annihilation map pack for Call of Duty Black Ops. You'll be able to pick that up June 28th. You'll get four multiplayer maps and a zombie map. The multiplayer maps are Hangar 18, Drive-In, Silo, and Hazard. In addition to that, the zombie map will be called Shangri-La. You'll be able to pick that up June 28th, and when it releases, the game is going to have a double XP weekend starting July 1st. All right, that's going to wrap up our video game segment for this week. We are going to talk some movies. I know we got like 50 minutes of show to go, so we're going to try and bang all this stuff out. But let's get right to it. Before I get into the movies from this week, I heard that um, I, I did make a promise, which, I, which Slick reminded me of, about speaking to Dave from Denver. 
because he he's been trying to call in for the last couple of weeks and i i actually uh like talking to dave he's a, he's a good guy and he always has something relevant and thought provoking to bring in so let me bring dave on the air dave what's Rich, going hey, on how's buddy? It going? good man how's the how's things over there in denver oh pretty oh, windy pretty, pretty windy so so i have one thing have, the wii you the pad the pad Easily used as drawn as plays on Madden. Madden. I agree. That would be real. That would be a really great use for that. And and if and the Vita ties into PS3, then you can easily draw easily plays draw. that way. I think they may actually go that route. I think with EA uh, presenting at E3 this year and and going out and showing a, a unified front with Nintendo. Your 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 idea definitely is sound, and I wouldn't even be surprised if that's what we're going to be seeing in a future uh, Madden. Awesome, awesome. Uh, and uh, first, 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 some shooters. First, I mean, you can have the the map right the in map. front of you. Well, one thing I wanted to ask with that, and, and you're you know you're you're a good you're a good candidate to ask with seeing all this these opportunities with the Wii U with regards to you know enhanced control schemes and things of that nature, do you feel that the cost of that controller alone is going to be a huge factor in the overall price of the console? And if so, and I pose this question to Slick, and I'll pose it to you, what's a price that you would feel comfortable play, uh, comfortable paying? For the whole console, I would be comfortable paying 250 you'd, co- you'd be comfortable playing 250, paying 250 for it? Well, the funny thing is Nintendo's gone on record saying that that's a price point that they're probably not going to be able to meet. They're, gonna, they're not going to be able to, to give people. But with, with that in mind, you know, 250 is, is the sweet spot at this stage of the game. I think that the controller is going to make up the bulk of the price, and now they're saying that you're only going to be able to use one Wii U remote, and then everything else has to be, you know, Wii motes and, and you know, arcade controllers and things of that nature, but you'll only be able to use one Wii U remote. Uh, something tells me that that if you bundled that remote by itself, it'd be at least $100 on its own. I'll buy that. I'll buy, I'll buy that. Wow, uh, oh, that's pretty solid. I th- I'm, I'm going to actually watch that now and see how it launches, because if they launch at 250 then that console will not be on shelves for at least six months after release. But for some reason, I'm feeling probably 400, um, maybe 450, just because that controller alone, I'm seeing it being at least 150 bucks. The, the, the console itself, not so much. It's probably just a Wii with an enhanced graphics engine and um, an enhanced processor, but that remote is going to be the problem. I, I agree. I think they're going to grab the the hardcore gamers and the professionals, the professional gamers. Do you feel that, you know, the ability to use it without a television was a huge selling point, or is that just something that you felt was an extra in your eyes? Uh, I, I think uh, it's an I, extra. Uh, most people yeah, have televisions, you know, and a lot of kids have televisions in their rooms now. I think that with what I was saying with regards to not allowing you to watch DVDs or Blu-rays, they lost a complete separate market just because, you know, you can take that the controller, sit on your couch, watch a movie while, you know, a, a kid's parents are watching television. That's a good point. I, I actually didn't think about that. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, that's one thing I like with the, with the iPad and the and you know, just the, a lot of these tablet devices is just that level where you can sit there and read a book, flip over and and you know, look at the web. And Nintendo got all those steps right except the one where you can't watch movies on your console. I, I think they're trying to slim down the price, not having to pay all those royalties to the DVD people and the Blu-ray people. Yeah, well, I'm I'm curious to see what kind of a proprietary media they're going to come up with that's disc that's disc based and is going to be 25 gigs and it's not Blu-ray. I'm definitely curious to see that. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I, they might just go the route of uh, using uh, the HD format, HD format rather than the DVD than, format. I mean, I'm sure it's much cheaper. Oh yeah, I forgot about the good old HD <laughs> HD discs. You never know that that that's actually a, a pretty interesting premise you pose there. We'll we'll see definitely for sure. Sure, sure. Anything else to add, Dave? No, I'm I'm good. No, show. I'm, great show. Love you now. Love you now. Thanks a lot, brother. I appreciate it. And, you know, I appreciate your continued support. And, you know, I apologize for not being able to catch you last week. So, you know, I, I wanted to get you in there, and I appreciate Slick reminding me as well. Oh, hey, no problem. Oh, hey. I, I wanted to say uh, one thing. I wanted to apologize to your guest. I mean, yeah. we, we had a brief conversation, and uh, I actually didn't know who he was, and I, I acted like a noob. noob. <laughs> That's okay. This this new switchboard has uh, a lot of bugs that still need to be worked out. And it's funny because they're having us do these live beta tests with the boards, and you know it's it, it, it's hurting the show in some instances. Sure, uh, I sure. don't understand. All right, buddy. Well, thanks again for your call. Take care of yourself. Yeah, you too. Take yeah, care. Much. All right. Let's get into this movie stuff. Our good old buddy Shia, who of course we know from Transformers and Indiana Jones. Uh, decided to share some more news with MTV, and that is the possibility, well, the certainty of a fifth Indiana Jones movie. Shia went on to tell MTV that Harrison Ford is staying in shape in preparation for the film. He said, I talked to Harrison, and he said he's staying in the gym, and he also stated that he's heard no word but knows that George, that George Lucas is out there looking for a MacGuffin, you know, which is a plot device. He said he's staying in the gym, so it means you never know it's not too far off. Number one, the last Indiana Jones movie had fucking aliens. Aliens. Not, not you know, heart sacrifices, not, you know, stuff that we all know and love. Aliens. The whole premise of that last Indiana Jones movie was fucking stupid. And trying to go with that whole chemistry like Harrison Ford had with uh, Sean Connery and, and using that with, uh, with Shia Penguin and fucking Harrison Ford in the last Indiana Jones was stupid. It was, I, I just felt that in theory, it sounded good in execution. It was utter shit. All that back and forth for it to turn out to be fucking aliens, aliens of all things. I mean, you go from the Ark of the Covenant to aliens. It, it's an, it's an insult. It really is an insult. They should just leave the Indiana Jones series alone. I know that they're really trying to go and hand the franchise over to, to Shia Penguin but it's, it's not going to work. Not going to work. Just because people are not going to embrace it. Now that you've covered aliens, what are you going to do? How about you do Indiana Jones against the Scientologists? Why not just do... Uh, why don't you why, why do that? Indiana Jones against the Scientologists. Tom Cruise is your bad guy. They got red bracelets. Their fucking their healing centers are being used to wipe people's brains. Why not just do that with an ancient artifact from L. Ron Hubbard? 
Because at this point, that's how hokey and shitty it's gotten that you're going with aliens for Indiana Jones, of all things. Leave the fucking franchise alone. Go do another Transformers flick or, or something else, and leave Harrison Ford alone, too. Because, you know, he can go and do some great drama movies and not have to go back to wearing the hat and the stupid jacket with the whip and looking like a complete jagoff. But another Indiana Jones, folks. Look forward to it. In some G.I. Joe movie news, I talked about it last week, that The Rock was likely to be playing Roadblock in the next G.I. Joe movie. Channing, Channing Tatum, of course, is going to be back as Duke. Ray Park will be back as Snake Eyes. But um, here's one that's, that I didn't even think they would go with, and I was pretty shocked when I read it. According to The Hollywood Reporter, French actress Elodie Young from uh, District B-13 is going to be joining the film, and she will be playing Jinx. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar with G.I. Joe, Jinx is actually a ninja that appeared in the G.I. Joe movie and later appeared in the G.I. Joe series as well. So, you know, that kind of shit, I have no problem with. I think that going back to, to some of these other uh, G.I. Joe characters isn't a, a bad thing. I mean, the last G.I. Joe movie wasn't complete shit. It was enjoyable. Uh, I actually liked you know, Ray Park's portrayal of, portrayal of Snake Eyes was really good. Hell, I can even look past the Wayans brother that was in there that was pretty good, too. It wasn't, it wasn't a steaming pile of shit. And um, I see that Nisi mentions Cowboys versus Aliens. I don't have an issue with Aliens being used, because, hell, Cowboys versus Aliens looks pretty kick-ass, because it's just something that you talk about when you were a kid. Like, hey, what about if Cowboys fought Aliens? Just like people talking about pirates and ninjas. My big gripe is just um, Indiana Jones and aliens in the same sentence. I like what Brian said. I think that Indiana Jones versus the ghost of Randy Savage would work. I mean, Randy Savage did stop the rapture from happening by dropping an elbow on Jesus. So, hey, why not just have him fight Indiana Jones while you're at it? Nah, I kid. I kid. <laughs> I kid. Um, Cowboys versus aliens does look really good. I think Harrison Ford and, and um, Daniel Craig are going to be great in that. John Favreau uh, seems to have been really motivated to get this project out there. And I, it looks enjoyable. I mean, once you look past the, the, the asinine premise of Cowboys and Aliens, I, I think it's going to be a great summer flick. Um, you always got to get one big summer popcorn flick, where, you know, in the same vein as Independence Day. And I think Cowboys versus Aliens is going to be the one. Um our first piece of what-the-fuck movie news. Earlier on in the broadcast, I talked about killer clowns from outer space. And a lot of you guys were saying, oh, killer clowns from outer space, the remake. No, not at all. Not killer clowns, the remake. Killer clowns, the sequel. The 80s cult classic is going to be titled The Return of the Killer Clowns from Outer Space. And guess what? It's going to be in 3D. According to Grant Kramer, who was in the first movie, he stated that the script is already written. He said, we have a script and a commitment for all of our funding, but the money can't be spent until we have a distribution deal in place. So that's where we are, talking to distributors. As soon as the final piece comes into place, we should be pretty much good to go. Kramer's producing the film along with Ed Ch uh, Chiodo, who was the director of the, uh, the, director of the original film. Steven Chiodo will be directing this sequel as well. Kramer went on to add, I don't want to say too much about the story at, the, at this early juncture, but I will say that it's connected to the first movie, and my character will be a mentor to the two new young leads that have to try and save the world from the clowns when they return. 
They're also trying to save themselves because the bad stuff the clowns do at first gets blamed on them. So that's where we're going. Killer Clowns sequel. Now, here's the funny thing. Killer Clowns from Outer Space is, is a guilty pleasure. I remember watching Killer Clowns from Outer Space on USA Up All Night. And I remember being exposed to it, I believe, in 1987 or 88 when my brother was watching it. And I remember coming in and I was, you know, I shouldn't have been watching it because it was a horror flick and I was young. But I just found a lot of amusement in these clowns just killing all these people. And the only way you could kill the clowns was by popping their nose. It was, uh, <laughs> it was just really weird for me as a kid, but very enjoyable. And it's a movie that I became a big fan of. I actually still own the DVD of it. And I've been waiting for it to be released on Blu-ray because that's how sick I am. I would go and buy Killer Clowns from Outer Space on Blu-ray because I am a glutton for punishment. But um, I see that Slick wants to get involved in this conversation, so let me bring him in. Slick, what's going on, brother? Why do you buy it on Blu-ray? It's a guilty pleasure, dude. I, I can't help myself. I, I wa I've watched Killer Clowns. Every time it's been on, whether it's, you know, on the Sci-Fi Channel, on HBO, sometimes they'll toss it on Cinemax for Halloween. It's just, you know how you have that one movie that's a complete steaming pile of shit to everybody else, but to you, it's awesome? That's what Killer Clowns is to me. You know, it's like Howard the Duck. Howard the Duck is a piece of shit. But I could watch that movie. See? See what I mean? There you go. Howard the Duck is a cinematic classic. Now, you and I both know uh, <laughs> on a realistic level that movie is garbage. But you know what? We got to watch it. And that's how I feel about Killer Clown. So I would buy the shit on Blu-ray. And I'd probably watch the sequel. I wouldn't go to the theater to watch it, but I would definitely watch it for sure. What do you got for me? I'd rather Wow. Tremors wasn't well, Tremors with when Kevin Bacon was involved, it was still passable. When it got I think to like Tremors Five the Dig or some shit, it got completely asinine. Well they need to bring back Kevin Bacon. What's the other dude's name? I can't remember. It wasn't Bill Paxson, was it? Probably. Probably. I don't know. I think, I think, well, you know, Bill Paxton is another guy that his characters are always memorable for just being paranoid psychopaths. But Killer Clouds is, is a sequel I can't, I don't feel bad about because you know damn well it's probably coming straight to video. Nobody's going to go to the theater to see it. But then again, you, you know, peop, you told me people went to see Piranha 3D. So let me not, let me not talk that shit until it comes out. And people are going to go to fucking Shark Night 3D. Sharks in a fucking lake. Right. Oh, my. oh, yeah, I saw that. That was terrible. How do you know Sharks in a lake? Uh, dude, it's a, I, I remember allig a movie about alligators in the sewer that I watched on Channel 5. I think, I think Bronx might probably remember this, too. They used to always give it on Channel 5 on Sundays. The kid flushes the alligator down the toilet. The alligator starts eating like security guards and maintenance men, and all of a sudden he comes it was, out in a it alligator. It was called alligator, right? Because I remember there was another one, a croc or some shit that was just as bad. That was like that. Oh yeah, well, well, no, that was newer, but there was an older flick too. But 
But yeah, alligator, alligator was in that same that same vein as Killer Clowns. Just another guilty pleasure. Just a an alligator in a fucking swimming pool. And um, Bronx brings up a good one too, which is Chud. Yeah, Chud was really good. <laughs> All right, we could we could go down this memory lane trip forever. <laughs> what else do we got? I think that they're going with, if you want to make a movie better, add more ninjas. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way I see it. It's like, it's like Fast and Furious. It's like, here's how to make a good Fast and Furious movie. Add Vin Diesel, add Paul Walker, add a lot of colorful cars, some reggaeton, and, so, and some bad uh, club music, and you got a new Fast and Furious. Easy. You throw in one or two new guys, and you're done. Same thing with G.I. Joe at this point. You throw in The Rock, you throw in Jinx, you, you know, more ninjas, more, more great fights. That's all they're going with, man. I think it's just going to be another mindless uh, action flick like the first one, you know, where they're running through the streets in those stupid suits chasing the Baroness. That was the hokiest part of the fucking movie. Uh, I guess I'm going to uh, go because like shit. Dude, I think it really is this new switchboard. I hear you crystal clear. I heard Garib crystal clear. I think it's just this new switchboard uh, taking calls like, like shit. Um, uh, whatever it is. I, I even hear that echo my own phone. Jesus Christ. All right. <laughs> I'll catch you later then. All right, man. Later. All right. All right, I have at least seven things i got to send to Blog Talk Radio about this switchboard, but let's go and run through the rest of the stuff. Uh, box office totals, surprisingly enough, to most people, Super 8 was number one this week, knocking off X-Men First Class. Uh, the Hangover was number three. Kung Fu Panda was four. Pirates of the Caribbean was five, still making that money. Bridesmaids was six. Judy Moody and the Not Bummer Summer was seven. Midnight in Paris was 8, 4 was 9, and Fast 5 was 10. I think that, the, that with you know, green, uh, the Green Lantern, the X-Men movies, I think that the comic movies are going to stay in the theater a little longer just to squeeze the shit out of that nugget. That's what they're going to do. I think with Thor especially and Captain America right around the corner, people are going to want to watch Thor, then go see Captain America. So they're not going to pull that movie probably for another couple of months Strictly, just strictly for that residual money. Same thing with um, X Men First Class. They're not going to pull that for a while for the same reason, just residual money. X Men First Class at the number two spot with twenty five million dollars. It's made ninety eight point nine million dollars total. So they're not going to be pulling that anytime soon. Now I'm I'm really upset that we're having so many issues with incoming calls because I really wanted to tell Slick about this. Um, I see that he was asking how much, Super 8 made $38 million total. But um, to go back to what I was saying, I'm bummed that Slick couldn't stay on for this because Variety is reporting that Joel Silver is going to make, is looking to make a live action movie based on Ben 10. So um, <laughs> I'm bummed that he didn't get to stay on the line for that because I'm sure he would have had, uh, he would have had something to share but a live-action Ben 10 movie for the, for the big screen, Warner Brothers would likely distribute it since they go hand-in-hand hand with Turner Broadcasting's home video distribution of the series. 
But of course, the best part is that they're going to give uh, Joel Silver this opportunity with Ben 10, even though he put out that steaming pile of shit, which was Speed Racer. But hey, now you get Ben 10 instead. So they'll be able to fuck that up for you guys, too. So be on the lookout for a live action Ben 10 movie sooner rather than later. Next up, Nickelodeon and also the Cartoon Network have been bringing back a lot of our staples from our childhood, especially for those of us born in the 80s, you know, Voltron, Thundercats. Now Nickelodeon is bringing back Ninja Turtles again. This particular Ninja Turtles um, will be a CG animated version of Ninja Turtles. And the whole reason why I'm sharing this with you guys isn't only because of Nickelodeon bringing back the Ninja Turtles, but the voice actors that are going to be involved, I'm sure are going to raise an eyebrow or two in the forum because it's the, the unlikeliest of actors. And I'll start with uh, who's voicing Raphael. Of course, Raphael is the more, the, one of the more badass Ninja Turtles. He was my second favorite only to Michelangelo, who was my number one favorite turtle. Uh, the voice of Raphael is going to be Sean Austin from Lord of the Rings. You know, Mr. Frodo, Mr. Frodo is going to be Raphael. So Sean Austin is going to be the voice of Raphael in the CG Ninja Turtles cartoon. Jason Biggs from American Pie will be the voice of Leonardo. Greg Sipes, who did voices for Teen Titans, will voice Michelangelo. And Rob Paulson, who was Raphael in the original animated series from 1987 to 1996, will be voicing Donatello. So how about that? Sean Austin as Raphael, Jason Biggs as Leonardo, Greg Sipes as Michelangelo, and Rob Paulson. His name was Robert Paulson. <laughs> I couldn't help it. That's a Fight Club reference, and it, and it just jumps out. Rob Paulson will be playing Raphael in the animated uh, he'll actually be, Rob Paulson will be playing Donatello. He played Raphael in the old series. So um, there you go, guys. Nickelodeon, new CG animated Ninja Turtles with some of the craziest voice casting I've read in a long time. The series is set to debut in the fall of 2012. All right. We got a couple of more movie news to wrap things up. And this is the other piece of What the Fuck movie news. And you guys are going to love this. Darren Aronofsky who everybody was super excited to be doing Wolverine, and, of course, he ended up dropping out of the project, is going to be doing a movie based on Noah. Yeah, that Noah. Noah from the Bible, Noah's Ark, that Noah. And it's going to have a $130 million budget. Here's the best part. Arnofsky is planning on transforming the biblical tale into something more theatrical with Razor's Edge Entertainment. Now, you're probably asking yourself, who would play Noah? Somebody, you know, a refined actor, somebody up there that, you know, would really, um, would really bring some, some, some good, some just great acting chops to the character? No. You know who he wants Noah to be played by? Christian Bale. Christian Bale is, is, is the guy he wants to play Noah. Now, think about this. We know Christian Bale, you know, he's, a, he's a, a great actor, but when it comes to roles that require emotion, like him in Terminator and even him in Batman, for some reason I just visualize him in the Batman voice yelling at animals to get on the boat. Like, though, his wife is like, no, we got to get these, these lions on the boat. No, they have to swear to me before they get on the ark. 
Like, I just see him doing Clint Eastwood Noah. That's what I see. Just him yelling at animals to get on the boat. Like, like him just there going, these fucking giraffes don't want to get on the boat. They're just standing there, da, 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 just standing around, not wanting to get on. Just him screaming at the top of his lungs. That's what I see. I, I cannot visualize, for the life of me, Christian Bale playing Noah. I can't. It's, I can't. I can't do it. I can't. I don't know. Oh man! But that's 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 the kind of direction we're going in. Darren Aronofsky did not do Wolverine, but Noah, big budget Noah's Ark with Razor's Edge Entertainment. I think that this particular Noah is going to have a souped-up catamaran that's going to have hydraulics. And what's going to happen is that it's going to turn into a hydrofoil. And he's going to go around the world picking up animals, but he's also going to be street racing in the movie because, you know, every movie needs street racing. On top of that, God is going to be voiced by Vin Diesel, and all the animals are going to be CGI, and they're going to talk like in The Zookeeper. Not only that, but all the animals are going to be voiced by Adam Sandler and Chris Rock. You're going to have, you know, mice yelling at Noah, I'm not getting on this fucking ark, man. Fuck you. Like, that's the kind of razor's edge entertainment that we're going for. Because why would anyone give a damn about Noah's Ark? Now, not to go on a religious rant, but I was raised Catholic. I was. And in being raised Catholic, they, you know, you go to church and you hear a lot of bullshit. You hear a lot of bullshit. And, and they tell you these stories, and then when you're young, when you're a kid, you, you know, you're like, oh, man, that was really cool, and I was so excited, you know, when you're in, in Little Jimmy Faye, and you're like, oh, my God, all the animals went on the ark, and it was so great, and the flood came, and people were saved. No, 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 no. In, in being a rational adult, I said to myself, we're going to put lions with zebras and gazelles and giraffes on a boat, we're going to put cats with mice, you know, animals that fucking eat each other and kill each other are going to go on this boat. And just because God was in a good mood that day, they're all going to get along. Let, just from a rational standpoint, it makes no fucking sense. I'm not disputing the Bible because, you know, I, if I do, it's just going to, it's just going to go into a, a whole other category of weird but there's just certain things like that. Like, just the, the logistics in that don't make any fucking sense. Like, I'm going to put these lions and these tigers and, you know, and bears, oh my, ha ha ha, yuck, 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 on this boat with animals that they fucking eat. Think about it. Put the honey badger in there. He's not giving a fuck. He's sitting there like, look, man, I'm getting on this fucking boat with this snake. And this, and this weasel and this mongoose, fuck those guys. It's, it really is insane that as an adult you question shit like that, and it just, it just it boggles my mind. And I'm not, I'm not even, you know, quoting Catholic religion or, or talking shit, but um, it's just weird, man. I don't understand, like, animals just hanging out in, on a boat together during a giant flood not killing each other, not eating Noah, because fuck that, I'd eat the guy steering the boat. You know, it's... It, uh. I like what Nisi said. I got to give Nisi credit in the chat. 
that Noah should be played by Samuel L. Jackson. And you know what? I think that would be insane. I think you should do a Bruce Almighty type of a film just with Samuel L. Jackson and, and him just, just screaming, like, there's fucking goats on my porch, and they're telling me about Jesus. Get the fuck off my porch, you fucking goats. Like, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd see that shit. I, I would watch that immediately. Or, or Noah, we got to get, we got to, I'm not putting no snakes on my motherfucking ark. I, I don't know. I think Samuel L. Jackson should be in every biblical movie from now on. I, I think it should just be that. We got these Ten Commandments, motherfucker. Thou shalt not steal. Read this shit. English, do you speak it? Now, let me stop. Uh, I, it's going to break down into me doing Samuel L. Jackson for another 10 minutes, and I'm not going to do that. But um, the last two bits of news to wrap things up is that, of course, Fast Five, $585 million worldwide. Fast Six has already been confirmed. At the Licensing International Expo in Vegas, they already had a banner for Fast Six, which is scheduled to come out in 2013. And... No director's been announced, but Vin Diesel and Paul Walker both said that they would return. Of course they're going to fucking return. What are they going to do? What has Paul Walker done other than, you know, go to countries where little kids have flies in their eyes and give them oatmeal? What the fuck has he done? And I'm not even saying that I'm just, you know, shitting on his, on his charitable endeavors because that's a great thing and he's an awesome human being. But what else is he doing that he would not come back? What about Vin Diesel? What is Vin Diesel doing? Nothing. Unless he's going to do another Riddick, which we all know he is. It's, it's, it's an easy payday for those guys. And we know that The Rock is involved as well. The other thing I wanted to talk about was The Expendables 2, which, of course, is already in production. Sylvester Stallone will not be directing this one, though. He will be just acting, which is a stretch, with uh, Jason Statham, Mickey Rourke, Jet Li, Dolph Lundgren, Dolph Lundgren and uh, Terry Crews. Um, the director for this film was announced, though, and that's going to be Simon West, who's done such great classics as Con Air, Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, and The Mechanic. So he is a perfect fit for The Expendables 2. So I, I have no problems with that. And last but not least, um, something that has raised quite a few eyebrows and gotten a lot of negative feedback, which, you know, is warranted. Variety is reporting that Russell Crowe is going to be playing Jor-El in The Man of Steel. He will be joining Henry Cavill, who is playing Superman, Amy Adams. Is going to... I think that, uh, thank you for that slick, slick with the save, yes. Russell Crowe playing Jor-El is definitely boo-inducing. Uh, Henry Cavill, Amy Adams, Diane Lane, Kevin Costner, Michael Shannon is going to be playing Zod, and um, Ante, I always mess up this chick's name, Aunt Jay Trowell, wow, I probably bludgeoned her name, is going to be playing uh, Zod's uh, female companion. Russell Crowe as Jor-El is weird for a lot of reasons. Number one, is he going to do Marlon Brando Jorel? Because if he is, then he's got to be fat. Number two, you know, if, if I'm playing your father in a movie, I want to kind of have the lead look like me. Henry Cavill does not look anywhere near like Russell Crowe. Nowhere near. Not only that, but, you know, is he going to be dressed like, is he going to be Maximus 
Russell Crowe or is gonna is he gonna be chubby Russell Crowe? That's a whole other story in and of itself. I don't know how I feel about the casting choice. I, I don't like it on paper just because, you know, it's it's just not that, that – not a role I'd see him in, but <laughs> I guess that's what they want to go with, the big names, you know, Diane Lane, Kevin Costner, Russell Crowe. They got a lot running on this, but I will tell you this. If Superman fucking sucks, don't make any more of them. Please, just just let it go. Let it fucking go. It's not going to work. You've tried Superman 17 different ways. You can't capture the magic Christopher Reeve had. It's not going to happen. You want to capture Christopher Reeve's magic, you got to dig him up, hopefully reanimate him as a zombie, and put him in a Superman costume. And even then, you'll only get Superman in a wheelchair, not standing. So it won't work. I think that this should really be their last attempt at making a Superman flick. I'm sorry. The, 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 they don't take any risks with Superman's character. He has a very vanilla uh, list of rogues, which even though they're vanilla, you can do big things with them. You know, guys like Darkseid, Cyborg Superman, uh, Brainiac. There are so many other great characters that you could do things with, but they always go the safe route and do Lex Luthor, because Lex Luthor is the easiest guy, because they figure, we'll just cast one guy, we don't got to spend a lot of money on, on the bad guy, we'll just spend all the money on Superman flying effects, and making him pick up planes and shit. If you go back to the Superman with, um, what the hell is this guy's name? Fuck. Uh, why do all these actors' names escape me? The last guy, the last guy who played Superman, who played, um... Fuck, who was in Scott Pilgrim? Brandon Routh. When you go with, back to the Brandon Routh Superman movie, Brand, it was not Brandon Routh's fault that that movie sucked. It was the fault of the guy who wrote it. First of all, Superman having a kid. Lois Lane is human. Think about this. You're Superman. You can't have sex with anybody because you'll probably kill him. You've got to have sex with, like, a Kryptonian. Not a, not a regular chick. She'd be dead. Superman finishes. Lois Lane flies out the window and go, lands on, the, on, on another building and shit. Come on, guys. That's stupid. That, I really didn't like the fact that Superman gets stabbed with fucking kryptonite. Stabbed. You stab Superman with kryptonite, he is going to be 17 different types of fucked up. But no, this particular Superman went to yoga and fucking hung out with the Dalai Lama because he willed himself... To, to, to save everybody, even though he had kryptonite stuck in him. It's, it's stupid. It's like, I'm going to pick up this island made out of kryptonite, even though I got stabbed with kryptonite. But, you know, I read the teachings of the Dalai Lama, and I got my Scientology fucking bracelet on, and, you know, I got my chakras in line. So, you know what? Kryptonite don't mean shit. Ugh. Like, that's the, you know, and it's, I don't blame Brandon Routh. It's not his fault. It's not. Superman shouldn't be anywhere near kryptonite. He should be weak, and it should kill him. It's that simple. This particular Superman, you know, he goes on sabbatical. He comes back. Lois Lane is a baby mama. The kid has weirdo superpowers. Kevin Spacey is trying to be Gene Hackman and failing miserably. 
And Superman is just fucking, I'm going to pick up Kryptonite Islands and not fight anybody. It, it's, it makes no sense. Like, it, like, in a logistical sense, it's stupid. It's right up there with the whole Noah's Ark thing. Superman, it, Kryptonite fucks Superman up. Period. And you got to respect that. No, we're going to do something different, and we're going to be different, and we're going to change the costume, and this but this Superman's going to have parachute pants like MC Hammer with gold boots and, and gold sunglasses, and he's going to, you know, be emo when he's human. Oh, that's the kind of shit they do because they want to make Superman more human than anything else. If there's one thing I liked is the Superman books where they make him really look down on being human. Because think about it, you are Superman. Why should you give a shit that Lois Lane has her period this month? You shouldn't, because you're Superman. You're supposed to be saving soldiers and stopping wars. But, you know, Lois has cramps, and she needs a donut. So you got to change into your Clark Kent disguise and go buy her a donut, because she has cramps, and she's being a real pissy. Like, that's the kind of shit that they'll put in a Superman movie because they have no fucking concept of how to make Superman badass. Watch the, the animated cartoons that DC's put out lately. Read some books. Superman has his little bit of shit talking to him. He has a little bit more of a persona. Ugh. It's, it's appalling and silly, to say the least. So that Superman rant is actually going to wrap up the show for this week. And, um, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's pretty much it. Next week, I have no idea who the guest is going to be because um, there's uh, three potential guests on the plate. We shall announce it going into next, further into the week. I believe that we're probably going to be joined by uh, Pro Gamer Prodigy X and Absoluta. Uh, they actually work with Unveil, and we're going to be discussing E3. That's not 100% confirmed as of yet. But if that's the case, we'll be getting an insider's take on E3. We're going to learn a little bit more about professional gaming. And, of course, Prodigy was involved with the WCG Ultimate Gamer Series, so I would love to ask him about his experience with regards to that. So that's going to wrap things up, folks. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 96 for Thursday, June 16th, 2011. If you want to email me to be a host, I mean a host, <laughs> to be a guest, or have any questions or concerns, feel free to email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. If you're on Twitter, we are on Twitter as well, twitter.com slash mytakeradio, and of course, MySpace, which is a wasteland, but you never know, myspace.com slash mytakeradio there, and of course, our Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash mytakeradio. And if you're wandering over to mytakeradio.com after the show, you'll see our Unveil press release announcing our partnership with Unveil, and you'll also get to check out Slick's Green Lantern post, which, of course, is fitting with the Green Lantern movie coming out. So do yourselves a favor, check out Slick's post. As always, a, a great read from Slick and a, and a great article as always. But if you guys are reading all these articles and, and you like them, please comment. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Do that shit. That's, that's it. Yeah, take a second. Hey, I like the article. Hey, I didn't like the article. Why didn't you touch on this? Why didn't you mention this? We need to hear that stuff. It helps us give you guys better content. And, you know, me and Slick have talked about it, as have the rest of the MTR staff. 
hey, handle that. Leave, leave some comments, folks. Even if it's on the Facebook fan page, let us know what you like, what you don't like. Helps us give you better content. That's that. Lastly, our apps, Android, iOS Marketplace, $1.99, just punch in My Take Radio. You'll get access to all of the exclusive content that we are offering, and we're going to be doing a lot more stuff there. And lastly, My Take Radio TV on YouTube. We're going to be doing content there. We're going to start doing some more vidcasts, more unboxings, and a lot more video stuff. I'm going to have to really man up and put myself in front of a camera. Uh, Got to get used to it. So by all means, if you do see me doing some video stuff, give me a couple of weeks to get the hang of it because you know, it's like anything else. Even even me doing radio, sometimes uh, things get a little fucked up, which to close out, I do want to reference one thing, which is a fuck up that was brought to my attention on a huge scale and that would involve last week's episode of MTR, which, you know, I should be closing out, but I'll mention this. Uh, last week on MTR, of course, we spoke to Jeremy Corre, who is the creative director for the new Voltron animated series. And um, as, an, as with anything else, you know, we, we go after the show and we visit the site and we've ventured into the Voltron.com forums. And a forum post was made about his appearance on the show. And there was a huge amount of criticism because I said sentient instead of sentient regarding the lions in the Voltron series. So these guys actually took the time to complain that I said sentient instead of sentient. Now, in, in borrowing a page from Jay and Silent Bob, I did log into their forum and tell them, hey, I fuck up words. I'm sure you do too. Get the fuck over it. That was kind of what I said in, 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 in short. I actually gave a far more, you know, a far more politically correct post, but I just wanted to bring that out there that you guys may, may think that, you know, it's just as easy as plugging in a microphone and talking to you guys for three hours. There's a lot of shit that goes into it. You know, we're going at, you know, we're doing the show till 2 o'clock in the morning. Sometimes words get fucked up. Sometimes titles get messed up. Actors' names get forgotten. That's the beauty of doing a live show, and I think that's one of the things that set us apart from everybody else because, you know what, I relish in my fuck-ups. I enjoy sharing them with you guys. Hell, I told you my mom hit me with a black Voltron lion over the head when I was a kid, you know? So giving you guys a little piece of myself and just a little bit more of a raw and natural show, that's what I take pride in doing, and the fact that somebody took the opportunity to complain that I said sentient instead of sentient was a little... A, you know, it was a little unnerving and I kind of got a little annoyed, but it's the internet. What the fuck can you do? And I appreciated the fact that they at least tuned into the show. So it is what it is. I figured you guys would, um, you guys would get a kick out of that. Last but not least, make sure to check out Unveil NYC on Facebook, follow Unveil on Twitter and closing us out this week actually will be one of the talents from Unveil. And that's going to be the chosen one. And he's, was kind enough to share one of his tracks with us, which hopefully should be running correctly. And, uh, yeah, of course, of course, I don't see it here. Uh, the track that actually was supposed to be listed on here for some reason is not. I don't know why, because Blog Talk Radio hates my fucking guts, but the track, I will put it on in post-production. That is actually going to be from Chosen One, and you can pick that up on soundcloud.com. And it's, if you are going to pick the track up, look for the Power On mixtape. 
because it's going to be on there. I don't know why Blog Talk Radio decided that they were not going to load the file. So, unfortunately, I will have to close out with something else, but you will be able to pick up the track on the edited version of the broadcast. So, again, it's going to be a track from Chosen One, from the Power On mixtape, and you'll be able to catch that on the edited version of the show because Blog Talk Radio is being a complete bag of dicks this evening by not uploading the stuff I put on the soundboard. All right, folks, I'm out because I think Blog Talk Radio has just broken my spirit. Taking us out this week is going to be The Prodigal Son Returns from Castlevania by Mustin, and you can get that at ocremix.org from the Heroes and Villains official soundtrack. The Chosen One track will be on the edited version of the show, available on the app and on iTunes, probably tomorrow evening. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you guys next week. Peace. Actually, sorry about that, you guys. I did find the track. I actually had to refresh the board. The outro for the track is I Love Gaming. The artist is Chosen One, and you can get that from SoundCloud.com on the Power On mixtape. Again, thanks to Chosen One for the track and for the team at Unveil for hooking that up, and you guys enjoy. See you guys next week. Yeah. It's a man. I'm here. I'm back. Check me out. Uh, uh. That journey last night was awfully crazy. I wish we taped it. I won the whole thing and bought the bar out so we could drink it. Play some Xbox and so we got crazy munchies from that weed. We passed out at six, woke up at nine, your flight leaves at twelve. Can you make it in time? Man, I love gaming. Woke up this morning, way after dawning. Taste the liquor in my mouth, so I start yawning. Last night was so heavy, I can't believe they paid me to play games and party. They must be crazy. I woke up late and put my shades on. And I found my shirt over by a thong And I'm trying to find my stuff because I got dismissed You think gamers don't party, better listen to this Come in on Friday train when you get in For the battle on Saturday, we all want to win But after that shit, so we break out a shell Cause on Monday morning, we need a story to tell Well, that journey last night was awfully crazy I wish we taped it I won the whole thing and bought the bar out so we could drink it. Play some Xbox and so we got crazy munchies from that weed. We passed out at six, woke up at nine, your flight leaves at twelve. Can you make it in time? Man, I love gaming. Hey. I love tourneys. Hey. I love women. Hey. I love gaming. Hey. So 
tell that chick you're in town for the night And she'll be like, oh, you're SW, right? Tell her no one at the double tree But this is where you wanna be Beer pong and PlayStation Sticky like a honeybee Taking hits and playing Street Fighter Sure you can Don't ask if you can get a hit Sure you can One thing about gamers is we're pretty polite But don't start no shit You'll only ruin the night No fights, dog. Unless it's up in the game We came here in one piece Let's leave it the same Let's all go insane Cause we'll probably forget But it'll happen again soon Yeah, that you can bet Now say That journey last night was awfully crazy I wish we tasted I won the whole thing and bought the bar out so we could drink it. Play some Xbox and so we got crazy munchies from that week. We passed out at six, woke up at nine. The flight leaves at twelve. Can you make it in time? Man, I love gaming. Hey. I love tourneys. Hey. I love women. Hey. I love gaming. Hey. Now I know a lot of you gamers out there. You know what I'm saying? Y'all work hard to keep your control all the time, but for this track right here, put your controller down, pick your cup up, and repeat after me, alright? Uh, now somebody say, I'ma win this money, I'ma win this money, say, I'ma win this money, yeah, I'ma win the money, yell 5-0, tell them I'ma win the money, I'ma win the money, I'ma win the money, I'ma win the money, say, trash match, trash match. Hey baby, I can't believe it. 